station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. this Broadway Bill Bill Lee I'm surprised coming in with Paul McCartney who I hate I loathe I despise Mr. Bubblegum King top 40 who just what was 80 years old so what are you doing a tribute to Paul McCartney and the Beatles you know ixnay to Paul McCartney ixnay to Ringo Starr who just became 82 I like John Lennon and uh, George Harrison, Mezze, Mezze, Poco, Poco. But there's a reason. There is a reading, reason to the madness of yours to inflame me, enrage me, any more enraged than I am at this moment. Coming off the 3 to 5 o'clock hour, I was on fire, full throttle ahead. And we had great entertainment from Vinnie Madugno, the Staten Island kid, who's skyrocketing uh, as a um, teacher by day on Staten Island. He entertains at night. See, he's going to be at Midland Beach on Thursday night. I think I'm going to be there with Nancy. Yeah, about 7 o'clock. Hey, come on out there. For Vinnie Madunya, uh, Midland Beach, 7 o'clock, Thursday night. Rain, snow, sleet, or shine. I'll be there, will you? And don't worry about shark attacks. Nothing could survive in those waters off of uh, <laughs> Dolphin Plaza. All those sharks love the dolphins, right? Their father, Capadonna Boulevard. Anyway. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, what a great show already today. And then two great hours of uh, Jersey Joe Piscopo and the Sinatra Extravaganza sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. And then you just heard the one-year anniversary tribute to Dean Martin put on by his, uh, his daughter, Dina. And now we get right back into it, right? We go from, uh, we go from 9 to 11. I give you the rip and read, two hours of everything that's been happening while you've been enjoying entertainment and you just wanted to become a little bit mindless and not have things hang over your head. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm going to have to redo that. But then uh, you all look forward to the Animal Welfare Hour. That is the most listened to, most requested, most called in segment of the many segments that I do here. On WABC, the acronym on the weekends is always broadcasting, Curtis. And during the week... And now uh, should uh, the acronym should represent always broadcasting uh, Cats Matitas. Uh, boy, he was doing double duty last week, mornings from uh, 6 to 10 with Bernard McGurk as Sid Rosenberg was on vacation and then coming back to do it uh, twice with his regular show, the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. Oh, they were making news. Uh, Al D'Amato on Thursday just going at Rudy Giuliani who had just had stents put in in a nearby hospital and then Eric Adams on with John Katsimatidis Friday morning, and he wouldn't give uh, Rudy any slack. No matter how much uh, John tried to explain his medical situation, uh, it was a great week. And then a lot of uh, newsbreakers uh, who were on earlier today with John Katsimatidis from 8 to 10 in the morning after I finished up and took you to the break of dawn at 6, uh, he had on uh, Bratton. Bill Ratton, who was predicting some dire circumstances for the NYPD in terms of their inability to recruit 
new classes, their inability to hire new police officers, and the fact that there is nothing in their budgetary allotment to replace the billion dollars that was taken from the police budget by Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor. Uh, uh, i, I got to watch my language here. I, I'm so angry. I, I saw a picture of Bill de Blasio today in the Post. He's solo. No longer has the police escort with him and his wife, Charlene, thank God. And now he's claiming he's like Abe, you know, the former prime minister of Japan. He needs security. You know, I could be Abe. No, you just have no friends. Uh, just you have no friends. You, uh, I, I'm surprised if anybody will be willing to vote for this guy. And in the new 10th congressional district, there are like 15 candidates running in the Democratic primary at the end of August. But anyway, that's the update on de Blasio, who stripped a billion dollars out of the NYPD budget, along with the feckless and weak and we hate the cop city council. And we haven't hired one additional cop in the new budget, nor any desperately needed correctional officers. We needed 2,500 because the inmates now run the asylum on Rikers Island. The Bloods, the Crips, the Trinitarios, that's the Dominican gang, MS-13, 18th Street, and of course the Latin Kings, and all the other Herkimer Jerks. Uh, That gives you a little bit of an update of what has transpired so far. But the reason that I played uh, Michel Maibel is that the theme of this 9 o'clock hour, because there are articles uh, galore about all kinds of retail establishments, mom-and-pop shops, supermarkets, grocery stores, delis, bodegas, as you know, uh, even fast-food restaurants, in which shoplifting uh, has decimated the bottom line. I mean, armies, like locusts going through cornfields, especially here in Manhattan because of... uh, the feckless and weak turn them loose, Alvin Bragg, who is the uh, DEA. Uh, he actually uh, has created the Alvin Bragg swag bag. So that if uh, you uh, are desiring to go into any of these uh, establishments that I've just mentioned, mom and pop shops, uh, whether it is uh, big chain uh, stores, you know, like Dwayne Reed, Rite Aid, CVS, Walgreens, or whether you. Uh, just want to sort of pick and choose what bodega or grocery store you go in, supermarket. All you got to do is, according to Alvin Bragg, uh, is go to the front cashier, ask for your Alvin Bragg swag bag, and just promise one thing and one thing only to the cashiers and to the employees and management of the particular store you have targeted, is that you are only there to loot. You will not shoot. If it's under $1,000, nothing can happen to you. Uh, can't touch you. Uh, because Alvin Bragg won't even dare to prosecute, uh, prosecute you. And even if it's beyond $1,000 and you occasionally get pinched by the NYP, don't worry. They'll knock it down from a felony charge uh, to a misdemeanor charge to petty larceny or disorderly conduct. And then they'll seal your record in six months. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's get right down to it. The number one shoplifter in all of New York City is Michelle Maibel. I've seen her out there. I've run into her. She loves Tarjay. She loves Tarjay, first and foremost. Uh, She has already been tossed out in perpetuity. There's a lifetime ban on her in Saks and uh, Berdorf Goodman. Yeah, she's been in there many times. And (laughs) she sort of, like, outlasted her stay. They actually have court orders that are posted on, on the doors. Michelle, you cannot enter this circumference or you will get cold busted. Uh, But she uh, continues to hit Tajay over on the west side, Old Navy, 
and actually Dwayne Reed, Rite Aid, at CBS, and Walgreens. And this is Michelle Mybell's M.O. She actually has a LinkedIn page and where it says, what, are you, what is your occupation? What is your profession? What are your skills? She says, I'm a shoplifter. I'm a professional booster. That's what I do for a living. And after a recent series of arrests that only led to her being dismissed back into the streets by the assistant district attorneys of Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, who turns him loose, listen to what Michelle Mybell had to say. I went to Bloomingdale's. Bloomingdale's and I stole them. I I professionally professionally obscured some, some, some items consisting of polo. And um, Ralph Lauren. You got a pretty nice shirt on. Did you steal that shirt? Did I obscure this shirt? I sure did obscure this shirt. Will you steal even now that you're out on supervised release? I have to give me an outfit. So you're going to go steal it? So I have to go work. Work is stealing. I don't call it stealing. I call it professional. I'm a professional booster. She's a professional booster. Hey, show some respect to Michelle Mybell. She goes in. She tells everybody in the store, I'm Michelle Mybell. You know me. 118 arrests, and I'm building on that, but you can't touch this. And I'm promising all of you, I'm not going to shoot. I'm just here to loot. Where is my Alvin swag bag? I'll take two, please. And uh, is it biodegradable? Oh, it's not? Well, I don't know. Can you give me the paper bag instead? Of course, she doesn't discern. Give me plastic, because it can last a lifetime, and I intend on using it here and at least at 12 other retail establishments and wholesale establishments, all within the course of a 12-hour. Oh, she works hard for her money. As uh, the diva of disco uh, would sing. Oh, that was like the top hit, 78, 79, 80. You remember Donna Summers. She had like, what, 12 top hits within just two summers alone. Anyway, she works hard for the money. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now let's turn the clock back to five months. It was February 10th of this past year. Eric Adams had already been in office a little more than a month. And the promises that he made to impose law and order were dissipating fast. In fact, a number of merchants were approached, both in supermarkets, grocery stores, bodegas, and retail establishments about the plight they were suffering. February 10th of this past uh, year, uh, in terms of all the shoplifting. It's been a growing problem for New York City's largest supermarket chain, Gristides. Now it's getting worse shoplifting. That's it, the increase in shoplifting. And now the manager says he's seeing a 50% increase. Ice cream, meat, tough soap, tight. The popular items for thieves, the ones with the high price tag. They like anything that's pint size. Co-manager Manny Gonzalez has caught people in the act. They're mad that we caught them. But even more upset are the customers as they're feeling the trickle-down effect in prices and the experience. It's ridiculous, honestly. Um, I know why they have to do it. Uh, I just think it's a sad time in the city that we have to come in here and the smallest items are locked up. Gracides is not the only one seeing this shoplifting trend. Yo, that, this dude, is, I can't believe I'm seeing it. Last month, actor and comedian Michael Rappaport posted this video to social media after he saw a man stealing at a Rite Aid on the Upper East Side. Now here at Gristides. I'm getting the security guards in the store. The NYPD reports a 15% increase in retail crime in the last two years, and store officials here say they feel it's bail reform causing this, further saying that brazen thieves have no fear 
of consequences. Now, let me add an addendum on that. Bail reform has contributed to it. No cash bail. But really, it's the fact that there is a ceiling, $1,000 worth of retail you steal or wholesale, $1,000 or less, you don't get hit with a felony charge, a serious charge. It's going to be downgraded anyway because you're going to plea out to a misdemeanor, then down to petty larceny, which is nothing, or disorderly conduct. And then you come back and you do it again and again and again and again. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So you figure five months later, right? And in that interim, I remember Al Slim Shady Sharpton made an appearance on Coffee Joe with Meek on MSNBC. And even looked into the camera and said, Eric, my homeboy, Eric Adams, you know, I go into Dwayne Reed. I can't even get toothpaste any longer. It's locked behind the counter. I got to wait for somebody to show up to unlock the counter glass. I can't even get a tube of toothpaste. Crest? I don't know. What do you think? What do you think how Slim Shady Sharpton uses? I don't think he uses Crest. No, no, no. I don't think he uses that. White white toothpaste. No, no, no. I, by the way, Afro... No, they don't have any products, toothpaste. It's got to be an Afrocentric product out there for toothpaste. There are so many other Afrocentric products. Uh, with all the toothpaste out there, I don't think the Afrocentric community has yet produced it. Certainly, Screwy Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam never did that, although he did try to have his own hair care products, and they failed miserably against Johnson & Johnson. The white company, I might add. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go right to the phones. It's Muhammad calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Muhammad. Reminds me of Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Muhammad, you are not. Assalamu alaikum. He is not Muhammad, I can tell you that. Hey, uh, Broadway Billy, uh, who did he get past? Oh, oh, that's right. Carmela, Carmesita, Car- uh, the Canarsie girl there. That's right. He got right through her. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Rich in Hackensack. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Rich? Yes, sir. Uh, look, it's uh, it's retail is the biggest segment of our uh, of our economy. And, look, it's part of taking down this economy. It's, it's anti-capitalist. It's more of the leftist crap, and they're going to continue this. So uh, shoplifting will continue now as it's kicked in now with this this anti-American uh, everything, okay? And look, it's, it's, it's serious. It's serious because uh, all retail uh, contributes so much to our economy, and it's, that's it. Let's take down capitalism, and this is part of it, okay? Well, there's no doubt. Look at the big picture. Look at the big picture. Yeah, no, no, it's no doubt it's affecting every aspect of the economy, retail and wholesale. Let me tell you a little story on numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I was uh, six years old. My mother, Francesca, said, I want you to go visit your Aunt Lucy, Lucy. And uh, your uncle, Jimmy Scavone, down in North Miami Beach. They had just gone there. They, you know, they had listened to uh, Art Carney, the June Taylor dancers, and, of course, Jackie Gleason at the end of their variety show, the number one show in America on Saturday nights, when all of a sudden Jackie Gleason, uh, Jackie Gleason the June Taylor dancers, and Art Carney said, come on down to Miami Beach, and they did. Lock, stock, and barrel. They had retired. 
They were North Miami Beach. They loved being there because Hollandale, there was the track. And they, they were degenerate gamblers. They loved playing the ponies. So I remember my, uh, my Aunt Lucy said, Curtis, uh, 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 your uncle, Jimmy Scavone, and your cousin, Joey Jr., they're out at the track. Let's go to uh, the supermarket. I think it was a Piggly Wiggly or something. And she's uh, wheeling around the, uh, the uh, shopping cart. And she stops in the vegetable and fruit section, and she starts looking at the grapes because uh, my uncle, Jimmy Scavone, loved the grapes. And she starts eating some of the grapes. You know, taste that. I say, Aunt Lucy, you can't do this. This is stealing. She goes, no, no, I'm just tasting it. I want to see which, which type of grape that I want here. You know, your uncle is a very particular kind of guy. I got to have the loin lamb chops. I got to have il vino for him. And I got to have the fresh Italian bread. And I got to have grapes there. Curtis, I, I, please, please. I, I, I'm telling you, Lucy, this is stealing. So she kept sampling grapes. And I walked over to the guy who was tending the, uh, the vegetable and the fruit stand and I said, I want to report you, sir. My aunt, my aunt Lucy, is stealing your grapes there. She was horrified, humiliated. And when I got home there in Hollandale, and actually North Miami Beach, my my uncle uh, Jimmy Scavone said, "What? You ratting us out? What, what? What are you doing? That's your aunt Lucy." Said, I'm sorry, Uncle Jimmy. You know that's why my mom and dad brought me up. That's stealing. I mean, that's how I was trained by my mother Francesca. Now remember that's. Lucy's youngest sister. She's number 13 in the Bianchino clan. She was the last drop of Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino. I'll tell you another thing. My grandmother, Nicoletta, when they came over from Italy, uh, they were in a cold water flat. My grandfather had to lie to the landlady that there were only four kids, when in fact at that time there were 12 kids with the 13th on the way, my mother, Francesca. And it was cold. And they had to get coal. So my uncle, Savine, Sammy, who had a little larceny in his heart, as my uh, grandfather and grandmother would tell me, took my Aunt Mary and they went out to where the coal train was. And they were hoping that little bricks of coal would fall off the train so they could scoop it up, put it in a pail, they could bring it back home, and everybody would be able to stay warm, and also they could cook food, the pasta vazoo, because that's all they get, a bowl of pasta vazoo with one piece of bread. That was it. When they got home, they were so happy because some of those pieces of coal had fallen off the coal train in Williamsburg. They brought it back to my grandmother, Nicoletta, and she bit her on her finger. Where did you get that? One yeah, where did you get You stole it. No, no, no. No, Mom, no, no, no. It fell off the... No, yeah, you you go back, you bring it back there to the coal yard. My grandmother would rather freeze and think that she had those bricks of coal that had fallen from the coal train right off Lee Avenue near Bedford. Oh, right now it's like the shtetl, you know, uh, uh, from uh, Eastern Europe. It's all the Hasidim there. But this was years and years and years ago. A lot of factories in that area. And so that's where... My uncle Savine, Sammy, and my Aunt Mary went foraging for little bricklets of coal. You see how hardcore they were? And when I saw my Aunt Lucy take a few of those grapes and eat them and, and then put the, the grapes, I said, oh, man, that's stealing. Come on, Aunt Lucy, you can't do that. No, Curtis, I know what I'm doing here. I'm not stealing. I'm just tasting the product. Boy, I was persona non grata. My, uh, my uncle Jimmy. 
I talked about Uncle Jimmy in Fear City. You know how the Bonanno crime family used to shake him down. He was a degenerate uh, horse player when he used to come to Atlantic Avenue, the old meat market. On one side, on Pacific Street, there were all the hookers from hell. And on the other side, all the bookies. He never had the hookers, but he was like, oh, man, in bed with the bookies. And I described what happened one time when they came to the butcher shop and they shook him down right in front of me, his son, Joey Jr., and my Aunt Lucy. I'll never, man, I declared war on organized crime from that moment forward. Oh, if you haven't seen it, you guys, I think it was on Netflix, right, Fear City. It's right in the beginning. I'm getting a haircut from the barber to the mobsters who wanted to slit my throat. He said, you know, for years, Curtis, I really wanted to see you dead. You know, it's lucky that that time has passed. I said, just cut my freaking hair from the Netflix special, huh? Oh, it's so good. You, you got to watch it's right at the beginning. And then my Kumbada Cheech Rudy dominates the next few episodes because he put, put all those mobsters choking on their lobsters, triple life without parole. We're going to talk about that later on with the death of three. Okay, so we got Henry Hill, Joe Leoto. Uh, number two, James Conn last Thursday. And number three on Friday, the legitimate mobster who used to be a leg breaker, uh, Tony Sirico, who, uh, no doubt, Sid Rosenberg will be sitting shiver tomorrow. He comes in. He had a week vacation. All four hours. He'll probably be doing a tribute to Tony Sirico, Paulie Walnuts, my very dear friend. He'll bring the Hamantash. Enough. And then, of course, there's Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. Now that he's, oh, he's being Mr. Big Stuff. Who do you think he is? He's all across America. He's syndicated, especially into Nevada. I don't have to tell you the connection, right? You saw the movie Casino, huh? Do I need to tell you anything more? De Niro, Pesci? Yeah, that's Frank, you know, the wannabe, you know, with the, with the suit. You know, the glows in the dark, you know, with the stripes. You see, what is that, the racket report? Oh, you got to check out the podcast there at WABCradio.com. I don't know my, he gets every mobster on there. Even guys who were in the witness protection program who all of a sudden their name is Stosh Wills. And they're out there in Laramie, Wyoming, you know, working in a 7-Eleven, serving up Slurpees like Henry Hill at the end of Goodfellas. Uh, I, I know I'm rushing it. We, we need to get back to the beginnings of what mobsters choking on their lobsters used to have young guys do, which was shoplift, although it wasn't in a shop. It was 18-wheel tractor-trailers, you know, stealing everything they could get their hands on that was coming out of JFK. Our number is 1-800-848-9222 or out of the Port of New York or the Port of Newark and Elizabeth. Let's go to Raul's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Raul. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, this whole thing happening in, uh, in the city, Cordish, this is uh, Eric Adams setting the tone for this, the Boogaloo man, okay? And, uh, you know, uh, Joseph Biden is not any help either because he's not sending the help. What the hell is he talking about? What is he, Mumbles from Dick Tracy? You know, Jiu-Jitsu, Dick Tracy, and then there was Mumbles. What, what, what the hell was Raul talking about? Is this where you pull up Carmesita, Carmela, the Canarsie gal here, the phone screener? Camellia, whatever. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So you heard the report from February 10th about all the shoplifting, right? That's five months ago. Has there been any re- improvement? My quantum, my nothing. Let me give you the update. 
Apparently, thieves are showing up with reusable shopping bags. Isn't that nice of them? So Michelle Mybell and all the other shoplifters, they now have reusable shopping bags, swag bags from Alvin Bragg. Backpacks, empty suitcases, and they go in and out with stacks of London broil steaks, armloads of air freshener, and dozens of ice cream pints. pints. Please, not Ben and Jerry's, Haagen-Dazs only. Some brandish knives or hypodermic needles when confronted, and a few employees have been injured while attempting to thwart the shoplifters. Quote, we have rampant theft in our stores, said Stephen Sloan, co-owner of the high-end Morton Williams chain, which has 16 stores, mostly in Manhattan. We hired uniformed cops with guns, and we've never had to do this before. Now, that's help, but oh, my God, the cost of doing business has skyrocketed. Meantime, uh, our own John Katsimatidis, Margot Katsimatidis, Gristidis, and D'Agostino stores, from the 30 that he has in the city, they've seen a 30% rise in shoplifting, just compared from year to year. According to the president, Joe Parisi, good supermarket guy, I compared notes with Joe. You know, I used to be the key man at AMP on Forster Avenue and Rockaway Parkway across from the 69th Precinct. Imagine, I was uh, how old at that time? I was uh, 19 years old. I'm the key man. My whole crew union, they're the age of my father. Basically, you don't tell me what to do, kid. We tell you what to do. And, oh, what a bet. Because when you're the key man. And you're responsible for packing out a supermarket at night. It's almost like you're the sergeant. You're the bosun on a ship. You're union, but you're not union. You're management, but you're not management. You hang by the coulions. Both sides will bash you at the same time. And I wasn't putting up with any nonsense. But I got to tell you, I had to deal with shoplifting back then. Not just customers coming in, but employees. Yeah, employees were the worst. Out the back door. I said, hey, where you think you're going with that loin? Hey, wh- where you going with those tenderloin steaks? Oh, I- I'm taking a lunch break. And you know what they would do? They would steal the steaks out of the meat department, and they'd put it on the wrapping machine. You know what? You would wrap the cellophane around, and they would cook the steaks right there in front of me. Like, what do you think? I got window shades on my eyes? Hey, I'm reporting you, pal. You're going to lose your job over this. They said, go ahead. Go out to Garden City. Go talk to all the brats out there. You're a brown nose anyway, Sliwa. And go ahead. See if it'll get you anywhere because my shop steward is going to defend me. And boy, he did. We went to war every day. There was more stealing inside the store from employees and management than there was from shoplifters and boosters from outside the store. Now, that was back in 1973. That was a huge 17-aisle, uh, brand-new AMP. It's not there anymore. They demolished it. There's a school there right across from the 69th Precinct, Foster Avenue, Rockaway Parkway, Canarsie. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I remember I was living on... I was living on... Um, wow, boy, that was a tough time. There it is coming out of Canarsie, right? I'm in uh, Osborne and Hegeman in the heart of Brownsville. Never ran, never will. The only white boy... I used to have to get through a phalanx of the brothers with my boombox just to get to the supermarket to open it up, to pack it out at night, and then I'd be listening to talk radio in the aisles. And who would I be listening to at the time? WABC was spinning stacks of wax. So I was listening to R. Peter Strauss's WMCA, which was the big power for talk radio. Bob Grant, the king of talk radio in the afternoon. 
And then I will never forget, at night, this guy couldn't have been more radical, more to the left. He actually supported Sing-Q and the Symbionese Liberation Army in their attempt to take over America. Who was that, ladies and gentlemen? You can earn your first booby prize here on the Curtis Lee Show. And who was his board operator who ended up becoming the number one TV sitcom star in America and now does commercials? You see Joe Namath in one commercial, and you see him in the other commercial. I mean, it's endless. I read already. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you're up late on the weekends, this is what WABC sounds like. Eileen from Queens uh, fell asleep on me just uh, 24 hours ago. Do I do this to people? Do I put people to sleep? Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Weekends, 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Big Pimpin', baby. That's right. Big Pimpin', spinning cheese. Talk to him. Ah, you like that Broadway, Broadway Billy, right? Billion dollar rapper here. You know why? Fuck them, hug love them, leave them, but I You're don't trust them. You're a degenerate, Here's a guy who came out of Marcy Avenue Projects, Williamsburg, and he did a he did a record about slinging crack, and then he shot his brother, his older brother. Man, that went platinum. And now you know what he's trying to shill onto the uh, residents of the Marcy Avenue Projects, Bitcoin. As Bitcoin is crashing, he wants to teach all the young men and young women how to become salespersons for Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency, which is nothing but a sham and uh, a Ponzi scheme. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Curtis, I love the show. Absolutely, Mr. Sugar. It's amazing what you do. Love it. Love it. Curtis, when are you writing for Presidente? El Presidente Curtis. Ah, El Presidente Curtis. Well, look, I'm looking at El Salvador. The guy who uh, banked all of his currency into Bitcoin is now a fourth world country. <laughs> He's going to be run out of that country soon. I could go to El Salvador, wipe out MS-13, right, and be a king. I could be a king. That'd be amazing. But go ahead, I'm Steve. all for it. I'm all for it. What do you say about the stabbing and the, the two 15-year-olds? Absolutely horrible. Well, By one, the train station. Yeah, one was 14. Let me give you the deal because I got all the nitty-gritty. It took place at 137th Street City College Subway Station. It's right where our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, grew up in the shadow of City College. Eventually, he went to Brooklyn Tech and then to NYU and then had to drop out, and then all of a sudden you know the rest of the story in order to take care of his family. Uh, but that is a very famous uh, station. It was 3 p.m. on Saturday. So you got this uh, 14-year-old rapper, and you say, I look at his, his postings, and right away, Steve, I'm saying, you got a blunt with Gucci gear and a moose knuckle coat? Um, I got to assume uh, that there was a lot of... Um, criminal activity to put him in that kind of garb. 
he's walking a dangerous pass, and then we find out he's with the 15-year-old, and they're battling one another. They are so-called rappers, and they have a knife fight as if it's a West Side Story, as if it's Sharks uh, versus... Uh, Oh, by the way, that's a great uh, trivia question. Who was the other gang that was being battled in the uh, West Side Story? You had sharks and what? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Got to give out those Curtis Sliwa booby prizes, which are the uh, Curtis Sliwa Show hats with the WABC logo. But I digress, Steve, to get back to what was yeah. taking place. So the 14-year-old. Oh, by the way, I would love some of your merch. Oh, oh, definitely. Well, you're going to stay on the line. You'll you'll end up talking. No, go ahead. No, I would love that merch. Yeah, sure. How can I get them? Oh, you just go to wabcradio.com. That's wabcradio.com, the website. That'll that'll feed your need. But so what happens is the 14-year-old Ethan Reyes gets into a fight with the 15-year-old wannabe hip-hop rapper and actually... Gets pushed, he pushes him into the tracks, into the tracks, right? And the 15 year old gets out and he starts chasing the 14 year old rapper. He catches him on the steps on the way going up, and they have a knife fight. And the 15 year old gets the better of the 14 year old. He guts him out, but the 15 year old gets stabbed too. That's where they found him at New York Presbyterian Hospital. No cops. All on video, you can see the whole fight. You know, it's sort of like uh, gladiators in the old Roman Coliseum. Nobody intervened. No MTA employees. It's Fear City crime time. And this is going on 24-7-365 now, Steve, all the time. What can we do about this? Well, you know, it's only so much we taxpayers can do. Uh, How about we hold whoever is responsible for bringing these evil seeds into the world, huh? You want kids? You want to bring kids in the world for whatever purpose. You want a kid or it's an accident, a shotgun wedding. That's what we used to call it. Oh, man, you have to have a shotgun wedding. You know, you had a kid. You weren't planning on having a kid. Or maybe you purposely chose to have a kid so you could milk You could milk the welfare system. Whatever the reason that you had these kids, if they turn out to be an evil seed, and you are feeding the beast and creating these enemies of society. we got to start holding these parents responsible. I don't care if it's one parent, two parents. I don't care if it's an older brother or sister. We cannot continue to subsidize this madness and somehow think that a public school is going to straighten these kids out. Because they're not. At 14 and 15... This kid is parading around. Look at look at his his postings here on Instagram. He's got a blunt Gucci gear and a moose knuckle coat. Most of you don't even know what a moose knuckle coat is. They're like, what the hell is that? You know, I was lucky if I even had a coat when I was growing up. Right, right. A lot of you are saying, oh no, now you got all the gear. Fourteen, and he's going to get into a fight with a fifteen-year-old. He pushes a fifteen-year-old in the tracks. Lucky the kid was in good shape. He could pull himself out before the number one train came in there and squished him. And then they decide they're going to have a duel there with knives. And the 15-year-old got the better of it than the 14-year-old. Am I supposed to show empathy or sympathy? Hell no, man. That's the code of the streets. It's Darwinian. Survival of the fittest. Parents are not taking responsibility. Elders are not taking responsibility. The community's not taking responsibility. Our elected officials are coddling these little uh, juvenile delinquents. 
And Armay is probably saying, you know what? You know what, Broadway Billy? I'll bet you both those kids were dyslexic. That's why they gutted each other out, right? You know that's going to be every. Oh, everybody's dyslexic. You know how many successful people were dyslexic? Are you going to use that as an excuse to commit crime? Oh, I was dyslexic. That's why I killed somebody. That's why I robbed from somebody. You know how many dyslexic people in the world? I hear that from Eric Adams all the time. Oh, you should go to Rikers Island. So many of those young men are dyslexic. Yeah, a lot of them can't even read who isn't dyslexic. How about putting responsibility on the people who produced them? You know, they birth them. They rip off the system while they grow up. They're getting all kinds of benefits. Or it was a shotgun wedding or it's a kid they didn't want. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's somebody else's problem. You know, a punch's pilot. You know, let's just wash our hands. Or as the mayor says, oh, I'll bet you the kid was dyslexic. I don't care if the kid was dyslexic. I know a lot of dyslexic people who didn't go on to gut people out, shoot people, rob them, rape them, and commit mayhem. Let's go to Sammy, who's calling from Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sammy. Yes, sir. Um, the answer to the trivia question is the Jets. Jets versus Sharks. Yeah, I remember. I saw Joe Namath recently do that commercial. I see it all the time. You know, hut, 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 Joe, uh, George Sauer there. Oh, man, it was like, oh, he handed Oh, wait a second. That's Emerson Boozer, Matt Snell. Oh, no, wrong Jets. I'm sorry. Sorry, Sammy. Sorry. I got carried away there. Well, but you couldn't be more no. hopelessly correct. All right. Now, uh, do you remember back about 1968, the Bagel Wars on Flatlands Avenue? Of course, I was right in the middle of it. Right, five cents. They went to four cents, down to three cents. You know how many bagels you'd have to steal today to get to that thousand dollar mark? Man, I got to tell you, Sammy, right there on Flatlands, right, especially eighty second and Flatlands. Now they got a mural yep. to, to this guy, uh, uh, the Crip there. Uh, I'm forgetting his name momentarily. He's one of these drill rappers. Smoke. He's a crip. Right. And it's right on the wall. And Eric Adams had no idea who this guy was, who drill rappers were. But anyway, every one of those corners, there was a bagel bending operation. You would think Jews? No, Italians. <laughs> Italians were bagel. Yeah. And I would go in there and I would bust their stones. And you know what I would say, Sammy? I don't want no freaking bagels. I want Bialis. And they would yep, say, the Bialis were great. Right. But a lot of them would say, no, uh, we don't make Bialis. I said, oh, I want a Bialis. Wait, wait. I came in here for Bialis. I was told you had the best Bialis. What's the matter? My money is no good for you? you you're not going to sell me Bialis? I bet you have it in the back room. And I would bust their stone family like you couldn't believe. Yeah, my cousin, my cousin had the uh, Carbell on 78th Street. And you remember the gold mine that was on Flatlands? Avenue, that was a, a fast food burger place oh. next to the Texaco. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You mean you're talking the BK Burger King? No, no, no. The uh, um, There was a place called the Gold Mine next to the oh, Texaco oh, yes. on Lands in 78. Yes. And it was a fast food place. Yes. In fact, uh, man, that's where Roy DeMeo and his crew. The Tesla Brothers, Anthony Centaur, Chris Rosenberg. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. That's the movie that Sid Rosenberg was just in, the Gemini Lounge over by Troy Avenue. They used to try to get me to go there all the time. Broadway Billy, I said, not for nothing, I ain't going there. 
you get Khashoggi. You know, they stick shivs right underneath your rib. They bring you upstairs in the bathroom. They hang you outside. They bleed you out. And the next thing you know, you're floating in an oil drum in Jamaica Bay with like 40 pounds of concrete on the bottom of that oil drum, man. You're not going to surface for a month of Sundays. You're not getting me to go on that channel. Oh, Curtis, you, you taught us stickball. You taught us boxball, stoopball, Johnny on the Pony, Buck Buck, Queen Olivio. We hot-wired our first cars while you were there, Curtis. Yeah, 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 I know all that, but I ain't going to the Gemini Lounge with you. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Chris, who's calling from Middletown, New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Yeah, you got to talk. Well, you got to talk right into the phone there. You're on your speakerphone there, Chris. Okay, give me a sec. All right, I'll give you a sec. See, I can I can pick that up, Broadway Billy Carmelita here, Carmela. What's your name again? Consuelo, Camelia. Okay, can you hear me better? Oh, this is so much better, Chris. Okay, I am terribly sorry. Now, what happens if a person's way too honest to see? What happens? Now, you said, what happens if the person is way too honest? Right. Meaning? Meaning, I want to so desperately to walk out with the other, but I can't. So what I do, I go to the cash register and pass. How stupid is that? I still don't quite get it because you're coming in a little uh, in and out. So you mean you, you shoplift stuff and then you decide instead you're going to pay for it? Yeah, why not? All right. Well, there's actually up in the Bronx, it's interesting because it was a situation where the known shoplifter actually walks into the store and he says, today, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to buy the Chuck steak with my snap card, which is the old, which is the new way of getting your food on with uh, food stamps. You get a snap card. Interesting thing. You go to the grocery store, the bodega you go to the supermarket, you go to the cashier with your snap card. I mean, how many times a guy goes up there with a snap card, it's a woman's picture on it. Does the cashier or the system manager or manager even look and say, you know, unless you're, you're a transgender and you're transitioning here, you don't look like the woman on this card. Well, you know, I didn't doll myself up. I didn't put my wig on. What are you trying, what are you trying to say about me? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, you can use the snap card. You know, you get 72 different ways to describe yourself now, and you can change at the moment. And God forbid anybody questions your gender identity or your sexuality. But if you notice when you walk into a store and they take the snap card, they never look at the person that gave the snap card and then look at the picture on the snap card. You ever notice that, Broadway Bill Lee? They don't care as long as somebody's paying for it. And then you can bring up, like, oldie, you know, old English, Colt 45, uh, you can have a few packs, a carton of cigarettes, which is like you got to take a reverse mortgage now. Uh, what is it, like $290,000 for a carton of cigarettes, 90% of it tax? And some of them will say, you know what? We're going to overlook this. We'll fix it up. We'll put it on your snap card. But, hey, you don't know how we did it. You don't want to know. And then other people, they'll let you use their snap card as long as you give them cash. Uh, did you ever try that, Broadway, Billy? You know, we, oh, come on. But you know that scam, right? And then remember, the Chinese restaurants in the hood, you went with the old food stamps, you put the money underneath the counter, you put the food stamps underneath the counter, and they gave you cash over the counter. You only got 25% of the value of your food stamps. Now, what did those Chinese people do with those food stamps, huh? 
Did anybody ever investigate that? Of course not. Because everybody gets paid. Right? Everybody gets paid. The farmer gets paid. The wholesaler gets paid. The retailer gets paid. Everybody gets paid. So they would say to me, Curtis, mind your own business. Is anybody complaining? That's our tax dollars. Hey, mind your own business. Everybody's getting paid here, huh? Nobody's getting hurt. Nobody ends up with a shiv in them. Nobody gets shot. Hey, so you put food stamps on top of the counter, and then the Chinese guy gives you 25% of its worth and value under the counter. That's the old way before the snap cards. And nobody said nothing. Did you ever wonder why there were so many Chinese restaurants in the hood? Come on. Nobody could ever eat that much Chinese food, especially with MSG in it. Not Madison Square Garden. I'm talking about monosodium glutinate. No one, you want to you have an early death? You keep eating monosodium glutinate. I can't even pronounce it, MSG. They used, to, they used to put tons of that in their Chinese food. You'd say, what's that? Oh, that's a special formula. You know, that's like McDonald's, you know, secret sauce, the McDonald's Big Mac sauce. No, it's not. What's that floating on my wonton soup? None of your business. That was MSG. That gets you addicted. Your blood pressure goes up. It causes all kinds of problems internally. And what do you do the next day? You come back to that same fast food Chinese restaurant and you say, could you double the amount of MSG, please? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. I'm a big seller. You know it. We can't wait to break out. Oh, Liz Khalifa, huh? Opening up all these weed shops, you know, all these empty mom and pop shops. All of a sudden, overnight, a weed shop pops up. I'm walking around my neighborhood, the Upper West Side. We were celebrating my uh, wife's, uh, well, it was her birthday. I don't know which one. She won't tell me her age, just like Frank Morano, right? He's the uh, youngest old man you'll ever want to know. But with my wife, she's a hipster millennial, Nancy. She's coming on for the Animal Welfare Hour, the most requested, called into, and informative of the many hours that I do here at WABC, 11 or 12, before Dominic Carter comes in. It's the barrier between me and Frank Morano. But we're walking around the Upper West Side. You know, all the gin mills, restaurants, closing 10 o'clock. And what's the only place open? The weed shop. I mean, with neon lights. I tell you, they're selling weed in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we walk in there looking... They say, oh, no, it's like Junior Nark, Curtis Lee. <laughs> These guys were like scared. I said, hey, yo, yo, chill out. I'm not here to bust stones. I'm wondering how you could be in business because even though it's decriminalized, uh, the recreational use of marijuana, nobody yet has a license to sell it legally so we can tax the hell out of it and pay all the bills that we have in the city and state. 
And they said, well, Curtis, let me show you what we got here. I said, oh, they got rolled up joints. Oh, yeah, they got the cartridges with the uh, reefer oil. They got the edibles. And then they got the munchies there, too. So, you know, once you... And and they're the only stores open. And, and they see empty space, they're moving right in. Weed shop. Hey, Eric Adams, are you awake or what? They're opening up these weed shops all over the place. You got to shut them down. You're not getting any taxable revenue from... Hey, Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb, I know. Oh, yeah, weed everywhere. Meantime, they're selling all this weed. Who's making the profit? Is it being taxed? No. And it's coming into stores in neighborhoods next to you. Oh, Broadway Billy, this guy, if looks... I mean, the guy looked at me and said, Oh, my God, the junior narc is here. Is there a way out the back? I said, there is no way. If I, if I wanted to shut you down, I'd shut you down. But I'm just interesting how you can sell this product so boldly, so openly. When it's legal, yes, recreational use of marijuana, medical marijuana. But there's nobody that has a license yet to uh, sell it because obviously we know what goes on. You're going to have to wine, dine, and pocket line your way to the corrupt officials to get that license. Like getting a license to carry from one police plaza, a concealed license. Most corrupt aspect of the police department is when you go to get a license to carry. Hey, um, you have any prostitutes? You pay for my trip to Vegas. You know, hey, you got Super Bowl tickets? Hey, you know, my kid's got to go to college. You think you can contribute to his college education? All to get a concealed permit to carry a weapon that you're legally entitled to. That's what it's going to be to get a weed license from the state of New York. They're opening up all over the city. How can they do that? Where are the building inspectors? Where's the sheriff? God forbid you had a restaurant or a bar that opened up and people weren't putting masks on or they weren't vaccinated. We'll put the jackboot in for where we'll padlock you up. Oh, is that uh, People's Tavern out there in Staten Island? They started at the protest against de Blasio and Andrew Evilized Cuomo. <sighs> they don't do that to the weed shops, huh? They get, you think, yeah, they're catching some. You know, they're getting pieced off. Come on. They're looking the other way. Hey, the, the inspectors again. Then they got the weed trucks everywhere. It's like, I thought it was like, I had my kids with me the other day. Actually, uh, only the younger one, Hunter. And I thought it was like, uh, oh, wow, man, Mr. Softy Truck. No, it's a weed truck. Daddy, what's that? No, you don't want to know. Well, what is that guy called? He calling you a blood clot, a Yankee man, a rude boy. Uh, don't worry about what he was calling me, Hunter. Kid's got a complex anyway. People think he's Hunter Biden. Where's Hunter? Where's Hunter? Just calm down. Who the hell would give you that name? Oh, your mother gave you that name. I would never have given you that name, Hunter. That's for sure. Anyway, let's go to the phones, though. <laughs> uh, let's go to Jeff. Jeff in Michigan. Which part of Michigan are you calling from, Jeff? Northern Michigan, Mr. Sliwa. I, uh, born in Detroit, did a romp for 25 years in Fort Lauderdale, met a lot of New Yorkers in Fort Lauderdale, and back to back to kind of take care of my my golden years in northern Michigan in the woods with the squirrels and the chipmunks and the bears. And Man, you hit a nerve, you know. I said I was born in Detroit and grew up in Southfield, uh, did some uh, loss prevention work on Eight Mile Road, the famous Eight Mile Road in Southfield back in the crack days. And I didn't do it for very long because I, I was doing carpentry work and I was getting pretty good at carpentry and all that. But I was about 20 years old and uh, lost prevention at a Kmart. 
And that was during the crack days when Kmart didn't require a receipt for any kind of returns. And you wouldn't believe what kind of Jordash jeans that they would wrap around their stomachs and tie with a string and r- hit their doors and run. <laughs> we had some, we had some wild times. You know what? Here's why I'm calling though. You touched the nerve with that, but sometimes I know you're a fighter. You're a prize fighter. You know, I mean, you're there's no no way you're gonna back down, but. Sometimes you just I the only connection I've got with New York is I got an eight millimeter movie of my mom and dad getting married in nineteen fifty four in Detroit and driving to New York for their honeymoon and I, he took a few uh, shots along the way to New York and all that. That's only I've never been in New York. Closest I've been in New York, Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. Don't they des- I, I mean, I'm shaking my head. I'm just a northern Michigan guy now and I'm like, doesn't doesn't New York deserve what they got? Look what they had a chance at. You know, you and Andrew and and Rudy, look what they do to Rudy, America's mayor. Don't they deserve what they get with Schumer and Gillibrand? And I'm I'm a news talk radio news junkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, uh, yeah, I, Jeff you, you, you are absolutely correct. It will have to get worse before it gets better. It's what brought us Rudy Giuliani as mayor. He lost the first time he ran to David Dinkins, 2,000 murders yeah. a year, 5,000 unsolved shootings. But I want to take you back to Detroit. So I'm in southwest Detroit with the Guardian Angels, and there's a yeah. supermarket. And the Chaldeans own the supermarket. And as you know, they own all the party stores. They're the Christians from Iraq, and they, like, carry AK-47s and AR-15s uh, to make sure nobody nobody loots and nobody shoplifts. So they're doing inventory at the supermarket, and they go to the nearby diner, and they leave a side door open. And we're walking by, and I see, like, like 20 homies going in through the side door, and they're, like, looting it up. You know, only meats, pampers, liquor, you know, it's it's going over the side. And I realized, how the hell am I going to stop this? You know, you call for the Detroit police. Uh, you, you'll have to take a Geritol bath with your fingers. They never come. So I run in there with the guardian angel. I say, cops are coming. Cops are coming. Oh, the people that have fallen down. I'm helping them up. They get to the outside. We put brooms in in the door, so you couldn't open up the door. And then they realized that I used technology on them, and then they bum-rushed that supermarket. They were ready to burn us down. And finally, finally, the Detroit Metro Police show up. And then, like, ten minutes later, the Chaldeans come back from lunch. They all got toothpicks in their mouth. And they said, I thought you the guy from New York with a guardian angel. Look at what they did to my store. What the hell were you guys doing? That's Detroit <laughs> for you, Jeff. That's Detroit. Yeah, they're doing this. It's the same philosophy that the the, the voters, uh, uninformed voters. I guess that's all you can do is shake your head and say uninformed voters. Now, let me ask you a question, Jeff. You're you're up in the northern part of Michigan where AR-15s, AK-47s, Bushmasters, uh, assault uh, rifles are the norm. Am I right? Like everybody up there has got a shotgun, right? Yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon, everybody's target practicing up here. And, you know, I mean... If you brought a, a city boy up here and you he start hearing all these gunshots, he'd probably have a heart attack, you know, like okay. Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning from just from everybody just doing target practice. I don't even carry anymore. I go to the Walmart, you know, 30 miles away, and I, I barely even pack my heat anymore because it just doesn't. You'd have to have somebody from out of town, you know, or whatever to really. Well, let me ask you a question about that, because Walmart is king in that part of the country, as it is in so many areas of the country. 
If you uh, were carrying, could you just walk into the Walmart? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, oh, no, you, not open carry, concealed, concealed. Right, concealed carry. Well, you know, here in New York, because of the Supreme Court decision and in cities around the country where they have restrictive gun carry laws, they're acting as if people were to actually legally conform and qualify to have a concealed gun license. That would be worse than the oozy-toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines who are laying siege to the cities like Detroit, Flint, Saginaw, I can yeah. go right on down the line with illegal weapons. I heard about the guidelines that Detroit's, I mean, that uh, New York is laying out all, they got like, it took them one day to start laying out all the do not carry zone, all the no carry zones and prohibited zones and all that. They're just, they, they're just double down on stupid, their ignorance. They just can't be reached. You know what I mean? With common sense. Look at, look at 20. This this you uh, the 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 Highland Park we got a Highland Park in Detroit too. Oh, I know that's uh, that's, that's where that, that's where uh, Henry Ford invented the Model T. It's one square mile, and ladies and gentlemen, as Jeff just said, it's in the city. It is filled with crime. Highland Highland Park there in 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 Detroit. Yes, sir. As a teenager, I started remodel. I started working on apartment buildings at Palmer Park, a mile away from Highland Park. And Chrysler headquarters was there. Oh, I, I got to tell you one quick story, Jeff. Uh, in Highland Park, yes, when I was there, right, I made, met with a mayor, Blackwell. They were open only four days a week. They served liquor out of the mayor's office, illegal hooch. And the cops had to be firefighters, and the firefighters had to be cops. That's how little money they had. It was absolutely crazy. And the drug, the drug thugs ruled the city of Highland Park and still do. It's in the middle of Detroit. They have two cities in the middle of Detroit, Highland Park, and then they have the Polish city of Hamtramck, where you have the statue of Pope John Paul there, one square mile. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to form the Trinity, the Troika, the Trifecta momentarily. And remember, coming up, it'll be Dominic Carter. He's the buffer, the barrier between uh, me and Frank Morano, Mr. Big Stuff. Who does he think he is now that he's a nationally syndicated overnight sensation heard throughout America? Yeah, it just started last week. Monday through Fridays, 1 to 5, the other side of midnight. And what do I have? On the other, other side of Midnight Broadway, uh, Bill Lee, when you're with me, and Avery, we have Ugats, we have Bubkiss, right? It's uh, the three of us. Frank Morano, he's got a whole crew. There's Alex out there. Uh, it's uh, Matt. Where the hell is Matt? The, the, the day they go syndicate across the nation, no Matt. What, did he disappear? But, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever Frank Morano wants, he gets. You want extra staff members? He's the golden child, the golden calf. He can do no wrong. He's the untouchable. He's the here and now and the future of talk radio all wrapped into one. Manaccia. Oh, oh, I got a beef with him coming up because now I have documentary evidence. Uh, let me set this straight. So in the past month, we have lost, uh, in this world, three men who made their bones in Hollywood as members of organized crime. 
two of whom were pretenders and fugazis, one who was the real deal. So let's start first. Ray Liotta, an adopted boy, grew up on the Jersey Shore, went to college. He's no knuckle-dragger. He's no Jadru, but he liked to act that way. I never got to meet uh, Ray Liotta, but... um, a lot of people said that he couldn't get out of that, living at as a Thespian, until finally he said he was offered a role. Do you know in Goodfellas by David Chase? He said, I have had enough of the mafia, please. Although eventually he came back for the prequel. You know, the Sopranos, when they made the movie about Newark, he was in that. But he, he didn't want to be with the Sopranos. No, well, he probably had beef with somebody there. Paulie Walnuts, Tony Sirico, who also just died on Friday. I, I would bet you on that. And then, of course, it was James Kahn, better known as Sonny Corleone, who died on Thursday. Although I loved him in the role in Misery with Kathy Bates when she broke his ankles. Oh, God, I was cheering. I'll tell you in a second why. But first, let's deal with the story that has broken all over the world. It has gone viral. With the death of James Kahn. You would think that everyone who worked with him, especially in The Godfather, that's what he's best known for. Everybody would be paying tribute to him, you know, sitting shiva. Even if they hated the guy, they'd be saying only nice things. You know, like my mother, Francesca, she brought me up. She said, Curtis, if you have nothing to say nice about the dead, bag it. Don't say anything at all. Okay, Mom. I never followed her advice on that because, you know me, I've maligned people. Uh, like, hey, John Gotti Sr., oh, he got throat cancer at Marion. Went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. I was dancing the Tarantella. That's it. Oh, my mother said, oh, Manaja, Wanyam, please, if you have nothing nice to say about the dead, just bag it. Don't say anything. I have a feeling that Gianni Russo, better known as Carlo Rizzi of The Godfather, you remember he was the son-in-law who slapped around uh, the daughter. Oh, my, imagine. This guy's going to slap around the daughter of The Godfather. <laughs> Marlon, is he is he crazy? Yes, he was. And in real life, you can make that argument that Gianni Russo's crazy, but he's quite, quite the um, bon vivant raconteur. Yeah, he is, man. This guy has made the rounds. He's he's had a life beyond the Godfather. Some of those characters in the Godfather, that was it. But Gianni Russo, he's a chef. He's a raconteur, bon vivant. He's got his own podcast. And for a while there, he was a fixture on the other side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I haven't heard him recently, but boy, he was good. He could tell a lot of stories because he lived the life. Lived the life. So upon the death of James Kahn, you would have thought, okay, Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo Rizzi, would have just bagged it. Wouldn't have said anything. Because remember, he's in that scene where Sonny Corleone sees that he had beat up his his sister and he goes looking for him and he just, he smushes him in the street, breaks every bone in his body. That was a great scene in The Godfather. The other one was when Sonny Corleone gets machine gunned 5,852 times at Jones Beach, you know, coming through the toll booth. I applaud it. I applaud I'll tell you why in a second. Hold on. I got beef with James Conn. But Gianni Russo beat me to it. I I want you to hear Frank Morano talk about Gianni Russo on his show and in his podcast. You would think Gianni Russo, better known as Carlo Rizzi of The Godfather, walks on water. People immediately ask, 
when is he coming back? When is he coming back? And the answer is always the same, as often as he'd like to. So wait a second, is this sort of like uh, the resurrection? You know, the Mashiach, he's coming back? Like the Lubavitchers think, oh, the Mashiach, Menachem Schneerson, he's coming back. He's not. But hey, keep hope alive, right? Keep hope alive. So with a buildup like this, you figure, wow, why is Frank Morano treating this guy better than he would Paulie Castellano, who lived in the White House in Toad Hill, right? right? Why? And now we know why. <laughs> What's the problem with James Kahn? How come you guys didn't hit it off on the right foot? Well, he almost got me killed. That was one of the, when I opened this uh, talking to you today, the guy I was worried about was Carmine Persico, who was doing life in, 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 in California. And because we did have a problem, and I did write about him in the book because of Jimmy Kahn. I was at the bar of Jilly's on the west side. Jilly's won 52nd and 8th. It was a great watering hole many years ago. And I'm at the bar, fortunately, with Boozy DeChico, who's an underboss of the Gambinos. And a name your audience definitely knows is Tommy Bellotti, who got shot down with Paul Castellano in front of Sparks. And Jimmy came out from back in the back room where the piano player was and all that. And he said, Junior's in the back with his daughter. He'd like you to come back and say hello. And Junior is uh, Carmine Persico, for people yeah, who don't know, who was, yeah. who was the boss of the Colombo crime family at the time. Right. After, after the, you know, we knew what was going on. He was the underboss at that time until Joe got shot that six months later in Columbus Circle. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he was the underboss, but a, a tough guy. His nickname was The Snake. So I go back there, and we I knew Junior. We hugged and you know, did a whole ritual. And, and I look at his daughter, and I said, wow, what a beautiful girl your daughter is. Amazing. And his face twisted. And I knew this was something's wrong here. And I said, let me go back to the bar. And I left. But before going back to the bar, I went downstairs like a lot of the bathrooms are in New York. And here comes two of Junior's guys. And they, I don't know what they would have done to me if Tommy Bellotti didn't catch the move and come down there. He wrecked the first guy in two seconds because one guy was blocking the door and the other guy was standing behind me at the urinal just about to do whatever he was going to do to me. And Tommy kicked in the door and smashed the one guy's head right against the sink and opened it up. And then we went upstairs, and thank God Boozy was there because Boozy was a made guy. He's the only guy that can talk to Junior. We can't talk to Junior. So they went in the kitchen. Then they called for Jimmy Kahn. And as soon as Jimmy went back there, you heard two facial smacks. And that was from Junior. Junior smacked him. Yeah, so for people who, uh, again, haven't read the book, which I do recommend, it's called Hollywood Godfather, James Kahn tried to trick you into embarrassing yourself, which you did. James yeah. Kahn was caught by Carmine Persico, embarrassed, and then publicly uh, smacked by Persico. And not only that, J Jimmy learned a lesson with the mafia that I didn't even know. So they settled the beef. And Jimmy now, as he had, a junior said, you were around us, now you're around them. You heard that? You're around us, now you're around them. Jimmy Kahn was directly affiliated with Carmine the Snake Persico. 
who is in the import-export olive oil business while importing cheeches and zips from Sicily to do executions, okay? Uh, This is, again, exclusive to the Frank Morano Show, Gina Russo, better known as Carlo Rizzi and the Godfather, the um, son-in-law who uh, Sonny Corleone broke the hell out of him in like a thousand pieces in the street because he had been abusive of his sister. So Frank knew this, right? Frank, this, this was done months ago. Frank knew all this years ago, years ago, when he was my producer. And because I had made statements about Jimmy Kahn being affiliated with the Colombo crime family, Andrew Mushruso, who was the head of the Colombo crime family at that time, because Carmine, the snake Persico, was locked up forever. He ended up actually becoming the protector for Bernie Madoff in Butler, North Carolina, before both of them dropped dead of greed. Frank knew this. And so I get approached by attorneys from Jimmy Kahn out in California and Andrew Mush Russo here in Brooklyn and Queens. And they're telling me they're going to sue me for every nickel, dime, and penny that I got. And as you know, 80% of my net goes to child support. You know, I got, at the rate I'm going, I'm going to be in a cardboard box there on, uh, on Potter's Field. We're going, to, we're going to take everything from you unless you go on the air and you apologize directly to Jimmy Kahn and directly to Andrew Mush Russo. And you must, and you must read what we've written for you. So they sent it to Frank. You know, he knows all these guys, especially Tommy Schatz. Gioli. Oh, that's his contact. You know, the guy who shot the nun, you know, right through the door in Dyker Heights when he was chasing another Colombo guy down because he was fighting over the rights of the film Deep Throat. Oh, yeah, don't get excited, Broadway Billy. Yeah, like he did the first time you saw Deep Throat with Linda Lovelace. I know you got excited, like half the world did. But the Colombo crime family owned that film. But anyway, I digress. So Frank gets the letter. He goes, Curtis. They want you to read this on the air? This is worse than what you originally said about Jimmy Kahn and Andrew Mushruso. I want to I resurrect this and play this for you now. I would like to take this opportunity to correct a few statements I made in earlier broadcasts on my show concerning the well-known actor James Kahn. Contrary to my prior statements, Mr. Kahn was not in attendance at a court hearing involving Andrew Russo in New York on April 15, 2011. And therefore, he did not kiss Mr. Russo on the mouth at that hearing, as I previously stated. I also falsely stated that Mr. Khan was a trisexual. I have no knowledge about Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities, and it was not my intention to question Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities. Although Mr. Khan had written a letter to the judge in support of Mr. Russo obtaining bail, I incorrectly referred to that letter as a friend of the court brief. Further, Mr. Russo did not assist Mr. Khan in his early acting career. I retract my earlier baseless comments about Mr. Khan and sincerely apologize for making them. Now, I read that. And some people said, boy, you saved yourself a lot of money, but also maybe a bullet in the back of your head, too, you know, by doing this. And I said to myself, when I did it, I got to use my Walter Winchell voice, you know, my official Walter Winchell voice. And I pulled it off. But little did I know that Frank knew that I didn't have to do that apology, and he never told me. 
his pal, Tommy Schacchioli, who's doing like triple life without parole, also knew, and Frank knew. And just earlier today, delivered to me by the FBI, forever busting Italians before 9-11, afterwards forever busting Islamists, the trial transcript of what actually happened. I only had one name wrong in that. I didn't have to apologize other than correct the one name. Let me, let me read you from the transcript. Andrew Mush Russo faced substantial time for loan sharking. Eyebrows were raised in the courthouse when actor James Kahn, who starred in The Godfather, walked into the courthouse and embraced Carmine the Snake Persico and kissed him on the lips. So the only thing I had wrong, it wasn't Andrew Mush Russo, it was Carmine the Snake Persico. This was November 5th, 1985. Khan said he didn't care about any bad publicity and that he made the effort to travel across the country from his Hollywood, California home because this is like family to me. He might as well have been saying the Colombo crime family, right? And then Khan immediately afterwards was hit with a subpoena to appear as a witness at the trial he was attending. And he said, just because I show up here, they hit me with this. As punishment, I guess. Look, I know it's bad publicity. My PR agent told me, don't go there. Don't go there, Jimmy Khan. But I don't care. I'm here because I'm a friend of Andrew Mush Russo. We grew up together here in New York in Sunnyside. On November 26, 1985, yet another Hollywood star showed up in support of Andrew Mush Russo. Burke Young. Remember Burke Young from the Rocky? The Rocky movies? Remember Burke? One of the stars of the Rocky franchise. He was a spectator at the trial and said he was a boyhood pal of defendants Gennaro Langella and Andrew Mushruso in their Corona, Queens neighborhood, right by Spaghetti Park, near the Lemon Ice King, near Parkside, you know, the restaurant that they don't want me in because I've had beef with the Genovese family there. Quote, this is according to Burt Young, the trial transcript delivered to me earlier today. I knew these guys since we played stickball together. The biggest insult because I was the commissioner of stickball of the city of New York for 20 years. Appointed by my Baricic, Rudy Giuliani. I didn't even get a Metro pass. I got none. Nothing except the title, which I, you know, I appreciated. Hey, I'm the commissioner of stickball. What are you the commissioner of stickball? What the hell is stickball? For 20 years... Eight years of Rudy Giuliani, 12 years of Bloomberg, who had no idea what stickball was. They said, Curtis Lee wants to continue on as commissioner of the city of New York stickball. He goes, what's that? Don't bother. Just let him be commissioner. Let him, uh, let him have his fantasy. This transcript proves that I didn't have to do that apology. And who knew about this? Frank Morano. All right. That's how, uh, we, we haven't finished the trifecta yet. Oh, am I angry? You know how embarrassing that was? Although, let's face it. What I said in the apology was worse than what I said originally. And by the way, what's a trisexual? Now it's probably one of the 72 terms that have been created, you know, by the cancel culture to describe somebody's gender identification or sexuality. Oh, I'm a trisexual. What the hell is that? You shouldn't ask. You should know. Wow, they bought that hook, line, and sinker. Now, we got to finish up. So we talked about the death uh, of uh, 
of Jimmy Conn this past uh, Thursday. And, oh, man, I loved him. I really like you. You, you got to find it. Come on. Broadway, Bill Lee. Uh, I, I need to give props to Jimmy Conn. When he was there with Kathy Bates in Misery, as the author, as the guy who wrote the novel, a series of very successful novels. So he wasn't playing a mob role. He was playing, you know, the kind of role that a, a writer who lives on the Upper West Side would play, who was part of the artsy-fartsy crowd, you know, the New York Times crowd. He would go away for many months uh, to very rural, rustic locations, and he would uh, write books, novels that many people loved. Now, that was a great acting role for Jimmy Kahn. And having Kathy Bates there, who was in this cabin in this faraway area of the Northwest, was amazing. So he gets into an accident. He plows into a snowbank, and she rescues him, brings uh, him to her bungalow there. And he's in bed, and she has him tied in bed because he was trying to get up. He would have hurt himself. But she had another thing in mind. She loved his many books, and she wanted to read Misery but she didn't want Jimmy Kahn to get away. The operation was called hobbling. Whatever you think about doing, please don't do it. Any for God's Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. Hey, please! Almost done. Academy Award performance, and it's Kathy Bates, who's like Sybil, you know, multiple personality. She's got the sledgehammer, and she broke his ankles. And I got to tell you, I cheered. I cheered in the theater, because this guy tried to try to sue me for every nickel, diamond, penny I had. Oh, oh, and then his revenge on Kathy Bates is she wanted to see the first copy of Misery, and he was old school. You know, he typed it out. This was, you know, like two fingers at a time. And so he had the only copy, and he knew this was the only way he could get revenge on Kathy Bates, who now continued to keep him hostage because he couldn't walk because he had the broken ankles. Remember how for all those years nobody knew who Misery's real father was? Or if they'd ever be reunited? It's all right here. Does she finally marry Ian, or will it be Winthorne? It's all right here. Paul, you can't! Why not? I learned it from you. No, 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 no misery! My misery! No, not my misery! He was burning the only transcript he had of misery because he knew that was the way he could get to Sybil, a.k.a. Kathy Bates. Academy Award performance. I think she won the Academy Award. Unfortunately, he did not. Oh, I would have loved to have been there. Hey, could I substitute for Kathy Bates with her? Break your ankles! Please don't do it. Any for God's Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. Hey, please! Almost done. the best line ever. God, I love you. 
hey, look, I didn't like Jimmy Conn, but I gave him props. That was a great acting performance. It really was. And he happened to be a very good actor. But he was on the periphery. Just like Henry Hill was on the periphery. But when we come back, we got to talk about Tony Sirico because he was not on the periphery. He was the real deal, a leg breaker. Remember the role that Stallone played of Rocky, the initial scenes of Rocky in the John Avelson film, Rocky One, where he's going out to collect, although he's a nice collection guy. You, you don't really see him jamming people up. Let me tell you something. Tony Sirico, he'd break legs to get his vig while eating the mamalute that he was, his pasta azul every day out of a paper cup with a plastic spoon. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Somewhere beyond the sea. Somewhere. Bobby Vinton. Oh, you're so good. Died far too young at the age of 36, had all kinds of heart problems. I will tell you this, though, I was thinking, should I go this year to Ujulio, the lifting of Ujulio in Williamsburg? You know, I was there last year. I got treated really badly by the marshals there and the priests from Mount St. Carmel. They wouldn't even introduce me to the crowd. Eric Adams showed up. Oh, here's the mayor. Yeah, we were still in the primaries. And yet everybody came up to me, right? Hmm. Oh, Julio, it started there in Williamsburg. I, I'm wondering if I should go. Hmm. I'm wondering. Hey, you know, just to rub it, rub the salt in their wounds, to take those stogies in their mouth and stick it down their throats. All right, let me calm down. Let me calm down. Love Bobby Darren. Went to Bronx High School of Science there. Connie Francis told our own Cousin Brucey. That's why you don't want to miss Cousin Brucey on Saturday nights. He doesn't just play music. He gives little vignettes. He has guests. Blast from the past like my sweetheart, Connie Francis, who sent me a bouquet of flowers when we first came on WABC, 1991, Angels in the Morning. And my wife, Lisa, at that time said, who sent you that? I said, don't worry. It's not deathbed lilies. Nobody's trying to, you know, hope that I die. It's from Connie Francis. I grew up listening to Connie Francis. And Connie Francis told Cousin Bruce, he said, I only regret one thing in my life if I die tomorrow. Bobby Darren wanted to elope with me, and I loved him so much. But I said, you know, an Italian family, I I must tell my papa, my father. And she told him, and her father said, you elope with Bobby Darren. I will track him down and I will kill him. The old Italian tradition of what was Bobby Darren going to take her up into the hills into a wine barrel like my grandfather did, Fidel Bianchino, who kidnapped my grandmother, Nicoletta Bianchino, and Andrea and Bobby and went into the hills because the father of Nicoletta was going to hang him. And then they finally found them in a, in a wine barrel way up in the hills. And Nicoletta was pregnant. And it was nothing they could do. Shotgun wedding, right? Yeah, I haven't heard that in a while, right? Shotgun wedding. Although I know that Nicoletta's father would have loved to have put that shotgun right to my grandfather's head. She was highly educated, Nicoletta. She could read and write. She had gone to the university. My grandfather, ditch digger, could not read or write. 
but he could dance, he could sing. And he had serenaded her when she was up there in her home, unbeknownst to her father, who didn't know what was going on. And then he got his cousin. They brought a ladder. They brought her down. He kidnapped her, took her up into the hills. Three months later, bingo, she's pregnant. Nothing. You can't touch this. Shotgun wedding. Now imagine if they had caught Fidel, right? I wouldn't be around now, right? Or maybe I'd be around all Polish. Oh, come on. I could never have done a show like this all Polish. Come on. Uh, That's part Polish. Anyway, let's get back on track here. Because we have the last piece of the puzzle here. We have Tony Sirico, who just passed away. The real-life leg breaker from The Sopranos. Although, he was in Godfather 2. And believe it or not, he scored the trifecta. He was in Goodfellas. In fact... Let's go to the uh, videotape. There was Jimmy and Tommy and me, and there was Anthony Stabile. How you doing? Frankie Carbone. And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop. Freddie No Nose. And then there was Pete the Killer, who was Sally Balls' brother. And you had Nicky Eyes. What's up, guy? And Mikey Francesi. And Jimmy Two Times, who got that nickname because he said everything twice, like... I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. By the way, Anthony Stabile, was that that crooked city councilman from Howard Beach, Ozone Park there, used to have his office right near the A-train by Rockaway? Yeah, yeah, two-ton Tony Stabile. Republican, I might add. Oh, the mob had their hooks in him. I'll never forget that. And then two-ton Tony Seminario, right, from Richmond Hill, Queens. Oh, my God, he ended up going away, did federal time. Webb Butler, North Carolina, where he dropped dead. He used to substitute for me. When I got shot up by the Gaudis and Gambinos, he would come on, and nobody could tell the difference. He sounded just like me. I sounded just like two-ton Tony Seminario. Oh, I reminisce, but I digress. So... Tony Sirico, who I'm telling you, when you listen tomorrow for the return of Sid Rosenberg, it'll be like Tony Sirico's the Mashiach. He's going to sit shiva. He's going to have the hamantashen. He's going to talk about Tony Sirico like he was Jesus Christ, like he walked, like he walked uh, along Jamaica Bay right to Howard Beach, knew Howard Beach. I'm telling you. I know. I know how Sid is. They worship Tony Sirico, Paulie Walnuts, because he truly was a bad leg breaker. But. We had a call from a very, I can't divulge his name. He's in charge of the court system. I can't say who his name is. But he's a fan of the overnight show, the other, other, other side of midnight. And he's been listening to me for years. And so he dropped dime on Tony Sirico just a few months ago. From 12 midnight to 6 on Saturday mornings and 12 midnight to 6 on Sunday mornings, where I take you to the break of dawn. While I'm calling, I'm the court clerk who's called you a couple of times. I want to tell you, if, you're, if your listeners, you know, they're all uh, fans of The Sopranos, I never watched it that much. But one guy that was really on it was a bad guy. I knew him from a kid. is Sirico guy. I don't know if you know him or ever interviewed him. Are you friends with him? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Tony, Tony, oh, Tony Sirico. I've had words with him. In fact, uh, we were at uh, Belmont Racetrack uh, for the running of the Preakness. 
I'll never forget it. It was a time where Tom Schwazi was the uh, uh, county executive in Nassau County. So that's half of Belmont. The other half is in Queens. None of the bathrooms were working. It was hot, sweltering heat. And Tony Sirico walks into the men's room uh, right next to me. And if looks could kill, we'd both be dead, George. Now, that was a conversation we had. And then the court officer dropped a bomb about, well, I don't want to paraphrase what he had to say. Listen. He comes back to the pool room one day. Now, this is, maybe you can text Cousin Bruce. He comes back with a guy named Richie Grossman. Richie Grossman was half Italian, half Jewish. He was, he was uh, whacked, too, down the road. They came back and they said, we just burglarized Cousin Brucey's apartment. Cousin Brucey lived on Ocean Parkway. I don't know if it's true. So maybe if you ever speak to Cousin Brucey, you can, like, text him to see if he was ever burglarized about 55 years ago. So now we got to find out from Sid Rosenberg. He, he, no, he knows all about Tony Sirico. He grew up out there, Bensonhurst, Midwood, that whole area. Oh, yeah. We're going to leave it to Sid. I'm not going to bother Cousin Brucey. He'll have a heart attack. You know, Cousin Brucey, like everyone in the business, I don't know what you're talking about, like Sergeant Schultz. I see nothing. I know nothing. Let me tell you, all the great ones in talk radio when John Gotti Sr. was on trial for the fourth time, right? And the uh, underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano, testified against him, and they played the Memorex tapes, and that was it for Gotti Sr. The king of talk radio, Bob Graham, said, don't talk about the mob. Howard Stern, I don't talk about the mob. Don Imus, I don't talk about the mob. The only one to talk about him, yours truly, Curtis Lee. And one of the guys came up to me. I forget which one it was. I think it was either Stern. No, it wasn't Bob Graham. It was Stern. said, well, you see, you talked about him, and then they try to kill you, right? So it proves our point. I never thought about it that way. Uh, So anyway, we'll leave it to Sid Rosenberg to handle that delicately, since he's sitting shiver for the loss of Tony Sirico who actually was a real-life mobster for the Colombo crime family, but did appear in Godfather 2, Goodfellas, and, of course, The Sopranos. The only thing he said to David Chase, David Chase originally auditioned him to be Uncle Junior. But David Chase said, no, we got to create a character for you, and he created Paulie Walnuts. And Tony Sirico said one thing to David Chase, I'll do it. I don't really even care what you're paying me. That's not important. Just don't write in to the script that I ever ratted anybody out and hate the Parmesan cheese. You want to kill me and get rid of me? Fine. Don't have me cooperating with the feds and being a rat. And that was the deal they had. By the way, our own Bo Deedle, right? I mean, you you know, Sid, he's the wannabe. You know, he's just in the Gemini Lounge. It's going to be a movie coming to a theater near you about the very degenerates I grew up with. You know, yeah, but he's, he's in, and in Gravesend, the cable show, they just had their rap party. And actually, uh Dito's in all these shows, The Irishman. But especially, he was in Goodfellas. At the very end, he's the guy who arrests Ray Liotta, who's trying to escape with all the coquina. Please, please, don't you move, you m- Blow your brains out. Shut the car off slowly. That's a lot of F-bombs already, and Bo just got started. When was the last time you took a collar? Hey, f*** it, I'm talking to you. You don't want to say a f- word to me, you don't have to say anything to me. I don't really give a f-. 25 years, pal, that's what you're going to do. And see how much of a good guy you're going to be then. Oh, he's so good, Bo. Because that's the way, when I get collared, that's the way they talk to me. And then, 
He's got the uh, he's got the bag of the Kukina. You know, he's got it in one of these. Uh, what can we call it? Uh, paper bag. And then uh, listen to what Bodito had to say to Ray Liotta there, a.k.a. Henry Hill. You know the boys. How you doing, boys? All the pals are here. You don't want to talk to me, you're going to have a problem all night. I'm going to be on you like Each one of these counts 25 to life in New York State. 25 years, pal. I slap your head inside out. Jerry, what were you guys, grocery shopping? What, are we going to make a cake? You got anything good in there or what? Is it good? <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, kid. <laughs> oh, 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 Academy Award for both. You know, I love it. What, are you going to make a cake? <laughs> it's all the cocaine in the bag. <laughs> great. Oh, great movie, because that's really the way the mob was. That's the mob I grew up with. Paul Ivario, the Lucchese's on Avenue L on one side of the street. Uh, Paulie Castellano, the... Gambino's on the other side of the street. I grew up with most of them. But that sort of gets us all caught up. So, Broadway Billy, we've connected all the dots about some of us have had synergy with the real-life characters. And again, Ray Liotta was not a mobster. Uh, Jimmy Kahn wanted to be a mobster. Like Sid Rosenberg, you know, wanted to be Italian. He was a Jewish boy. He grew up reading Torah and Talmud, and went to a very prestigious prep school somewhere in Manhattan, even though he grew up in Sunnyside. But the real-life leg breaker was, in fact, Tony Sirico. Back to the phones we go here. Let's go to Sandra, who's been patiently waiting on the line in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sandra. Good evening, Curtis. How are you? Um, I had the pleasure of meeting you about a month ago at Kelly Ann Conway's uh, book event. I don't know if you remember me. I had a hat on. I told you that my husband took care of one of your guardian angels when they got hurt. Do you remember me? I don't how, know. How, how could I forget you? You had on that. You had on that Easter bonnet. You you, you like glowed in that crowd, Sandra. And the place was packed. The place said that was Englewood Cliffs. That place was packed. That's correct. It was a really nice event. I was very happy. I got to meet you in person. You're you're, you're even more charismatic in person than you are on the radio. I, I, I have to say that. You're quite a quite a person. But the reason I'm calling is because two things. One, I wanted to say my mother used to tell me, even when I would say Ma, but I was right. I didn't do I was not you know, they're telling me to say I'm sorry, but I wasn't I'm not sorry, Ma, because I didn't do anything. She would say, you know what? Say if I offended you in any way. I'm sorry. So I'm not saying I did it, but I'm being the bigger person. So you were the bigger person in, in that um, issue, in my opinion. Mm. And the other thing I want, yeah. That's good advice. That's excellent advice, yes. Okay. And the second thing, I remember about a few months ago, I was um, driving down 42nd Street, and I saw those cannabis vans. I see popcorn. I see candy. And I and I realized what it was, and I feel, and I went on the Mark Simone show the next day to say how disturbed I was about that because your son is with you, and you don't want him to see that. And I'm so proud that you said that because there are a lot of people who are in recovery or who want to stay sober or whatever, and this is very hard to see a truck like that that's so friendly and so inviting and so misleading. 
Well, Sandra, my, my youngest son, Hunter, actually thought it was uh, one of those knockoff Mr. Softy trucks because uh, the ones they got right. out there, not the real deal. And when I saw what it was, I had to tell him, no, nah, we're not going there. Come on, Daddy, I want Mr. Softy. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, what could I tell him? I didn't want him to sample any of the products coming out of there, any of the edibles, that's for sure. But you're right, they're everywhere. They're, Sandra, they're everywhere. You can't escape them. But by the no, way, Sandra, I noticed yeah. you mentioned you listened to the Mark Simone show over at WOR. Yeah. Mm. I, I do. Mm-hmm. No, I, do not, but I, I listen to you. And yeah. I, listen to, I listen to Greg Kelly. I listen to uh, Julia. I listen to all of you. It's like one fabulous bunch of people. But you take a yeah. time out, right? You take a time out uh, from like 10 to 12 and... You listen to Mark Simone, right? Well, you go on his show. You like him, too. That's true. He was the one who promoted me for Mayor the Best. <laughs> there were people at my own station here at WABC that did not promote me to be mayor of the city of New York as much as Mark Simone did at WOR. So there you go. Oh, by the way, Sandra, if you get a chance, uh, please, because obviously you're a great talk show listener. Call Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. Now that he's missed the big stuff, who does he think he is? You know, nationally syndicated show. He's like, oh, he's in rarefied atmosphere. You know how you trigger off Frank Morano? This is what you do, Sandra. You say, how's Mark Simone doing, Frank? Oh, yeah, that's how you set him off. Anyway, let's go to Dan and Rigo Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Dan, the man. Thanks. Uh, what's the story with... Uh, uh the father, the father of the guy you were just talking about, he's a he's a, uh, a priest, a libertarian conservative priest out in Michigan. No, 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 no. Let me. Uh, I think you are conflating different issues. There was the uh, priest known uh, who was a big broadcaster. He was on uh, t- uh, radio stations across America. Father Coglin at the uh, Little Flower Parish outside of Detroit. He was a virulent Jew hater. He hated Jews. He was America first back then, which meant uh, he identified with uh, Charles Lindbergh and others who didn't want us to get involved against uh, Hitler. And many people felt that Father Coughlin was sympathetic to Hitler. Uh, I've listened to some of his old broadcasts. Man, he he was anti-Semitic. So I think you're talking there. But, Broadway Bill Lee, are you aware that Tony Sirico's brother is a Roman Catholic priest? Reminds me of Vinny the Chin Giganti, whose brother was Louis Giganti, the Roman Catholic priest who had been a city council person in the South Bronx and would be an apologist for Vinny the Chin Giganti, the head of the Genovese crime family who claimed he was Meshuggah Bots, titched. He wore the Irish walking cap, the bathrobe, walked around Greenwich Village right in Washington Square Park talking to the telephone poles while at the Triangle uh, Social Club there on Sullivan Street, I would speak to his number two guy, Benny Eggs Mangano. And I'd ask him, what about the chin? He goes, it's none of your business, Lee. Please. And I'd say, uh, Benny Eggs Mangano, how, how do you keep things disciplined here in Greenwich Village? And he would say, let me tell you what we do. We catch somebody going into a store, taking something that isn't there, we break their leg. We break their arm. So they got to wear a cast. They're going to have the cast on for like four or five months. And everybody then knows in the neighborhood, this guy was no good. 
a shoplifter, a booster. That's how the word gets out. You walk into any of these shops along Bleecker Street, you walk into any of these shops throughout Greenwich Village, and you try to shoplift or boost or pass uh, uh, bad checks, there's a price to pay. We make sure you wear a cast for a month of Sundays. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This should be the theme song for Frank Morano. He's the uh, youngest old man I've ever known in my life. A guy who has as a theme song, Al Jolson from 1918, Rudy Valley, Brother Can You Spare a Diamond. Yet now, you, you can't talk to him anymore. He's like in rarefied atmosphere. He's got a whole host of stations. He's syndicated around the nation. He's on from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, on the other side of midnight. And I'm still schlepping along on the other, other side of midnight. Saturday mornings from 12 to 6. I keep you up to the break of dawn. And then so nice, say, let me do it twice. Sunday mornings from 12 to 6. Now, I'm 68, right? And when I talk to Frank Morano, it's like I'm talking to an 86-year-old guy. And we still don't know how old he is. But then again, how can I complain, Broadway Bill Lee, because I just celebrated the birthday of my beautiful wife, Nancy, uh, who I still don't know how old she is. She's a millennial. She's a hipster. It was July 5th. And we had a great time, great time. And she naturally is the reason that the Animal Welfare Hour is the most listened to, most called in, most talked about in the many segments that I do here at WABC. In fact, we got a sponsor, an advertiser, right? Hey, big stuff here from 11 to 12. In fact, uh, hold on a second here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cut this uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song. I love that song. That is, that's really Frank Morano. But we gotta, we got to ask Nancy coming up for the Animal Welfare Hour. It, you know, it's the beginning of Shark Week. Remember, this is how... Then-citizen Donald Trump got into double trouble with that floozy, that uh, hooker or whatever the hell her name was, in that bungalow outside of the Beverly Hills Hotel, where she said Donald Trump forced me to watch all the episodes of Shark Week. 
By the way, as you know, my wife Nancy spent most of her life in Bohemia in Suffolk County and went not only to Lake Ronkonkoma, but to Jones Beach, to Robin Moses State Park, and to all the beaches along the South Shore, out to the Hamptons. I'm going to ask her about this. In today's Long Island News Day, it was reported that Long Island is seeing more sharks, and experts says it's a good sign. What? That lifeguards are getting bitten up all throughout Suffolk County? My wife's goal in life, my wife's goal in life is to swim with the sharks. She swam already with the dolphins. And by the way, uh, you didn't uh, study in oceanography or marine science. You could have done that at uh, Broad Channel High School out in the Rockaways, Broadway Bill Lee, except you decided instead to go to 149th Street and Southern Boulevard Gompers to get your vocational degree. But they would have taught you that related to dolphins are orca the whale. Have you seen the orca the whales when they come upon a whole school of sharks? They bite into the sharks and they take the liver out. And yet it's related to the dolphin. How the hell could orca the whale be related to a dolphin? And I wonder if Shamu... El Jefe, Chris Christie, is somehow related to the Orca whales and the dolphins. That's why you don't want to miss it. Coming up, the Animal Welfare Hour, and then the one-hour buffer of Dominic Carter. Oh, I got a bunch of questions for him about Frazier. You know, Frazier announced with uh, the Grand Dame of Talk Radio earlier today that he's bringing back Frazier. And our regular phone screener, Avery, said that's not a show for black people. Yeah, it is like it was like the whitest show I have ever seen on TV. With Frazier and his brother Niles, yet the father, you know, the former cop. I don't think those were his sons. It was impossible. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna pin Dominic Carter down on that. As to whether he ever watched Frazier and would he watch a new edition of Frazier? Clearly. The whitest show that has ever been created in all of sitcom television. There's no doubt about it. But anyway, let's go to the phones right now. And it's um, Paul calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Howdy. What did you think of James Conn in Rollerball? You know, I haven't heard that term, howdy, in a month of Sundays. I thought you were going to say howdy, duty, howdy, howdy. What are we out west? Or are we out there in Arizona, New Mexico, Texas? Howdy, howdy. <laughs> rollerball. No, actually, the one I preferred. I thought he was fairly good in Rollerball. You know who I really preferred in that roller derby movie? Raquel Welsh. Did you see that that picture with Raquel Welsh in Roller Derby? <laughs> God. No, I didn't see that. Oh, my God. Let me just say that when I saw Raquel Welsh in that roller derby movie, it wasn't Charlie O'Connell there from the San Francisco Bay Bombers. No, 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 no. It was Raquel Welsh. I don't know how she stood up straight on the skates without tipping over with those huge mammary glands of her. But, my God, when I saw her in roller derby, 
I truly knew I was a heterosexual at that point. If I had any doubts about my sexuality, because, you know, nowadays you can identify as any one of 72 different genders or sexual preferences, I knew at that moment that I was a hardcore heterosexual. I'm not going to explain anything more. But yeah, James Conner rollerball, that was pretty good. But no, no, that was no that was no misery with Kathy Bates. I mean that, that was Academy Award winning performance. Oh, let's go to Suzanne, the man in Washington Heights. Uh, Suzanne, have you completed your transition yet, Suzanne? I'm always in transition, really. <laughs> From what do I I don't know, I'm turning into a pumpkin. I'm turning into Steve Bannon on the East But tell me this. First of all, I saw Frank Morano's uh, made man photograph and his racket thing. I mean, he is a monolith. It just bleeds through it. And he's trying to look tough and everything. It's pathetic. Now, wait a second. Hold on. Before you go on with your additional point, Suzanne, the man, uh, what what, you're, what Suzanne is talking about is uh, Frank Morano has a podcast called The Racket Report in which you can't imagine. Now, when he does his show here, he's a real schlub. He's a real geek. He's got the pocket protector, you know, with Right, and he's got pins all over his lapel. When he does the racket report, he's got this suit on that shines in the dark that makes him look like an affiliate of the Gambino crime family. And only an affiliate. Do you have a huge hat he wears also? Hmm. I'll let you you through theater of the mind figure that out, Suzanne the Man. (laughs) Can I ask one? I have a question more than a remark. You don't have to answer it. I want to know what they told Connie Corleone when Carlo was he died, how he died. I have no idea what they told her. Wow, that is a great question. Now that was, that role was played by Talia Shire, right? Yes. Okay, he was so fishing in the Carlo Rizzi waters here. That's right. So when they garroted him, because eventually he got garroted, right? Yeah. And was yeah, wasn't that the, the famous yeah. scene where they said, uh, you know, pass the cannolis or something like that? Wasn't that wasn't that yeah, the scene? That was Paul Gatto. They killed him there. He says, leave the gun, take the promote. And they, because that other guy betrayed him. You know Paul Gatto, that little guy at the beginning. Suzanne, the man, you know, you could compete. We have two godfather aficionados here. Obviously, you know, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Kumbadicic, he, he mimics uh, the godfather. And then there's Greg Kelly, who wants to challenge Rudy Giuliani, which is actually have them on to do a Q&A about the uh, godfather trivia that would be yeah. a classic battle between Rudy Giuliani and Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly on from 1 to 3. Michael Mbadicich on from 3 to 4, Monday through Fridays. Greg Kelly knows so much about the makings of the Godfather movies. And obviously, Rudy does too. Rudy has actually had to correct Frank Morano. You know, he's Mr. Pretentious, omnipotent. He knows everything. Rudy says, I have to straighten that kid out. I said... I don't know if he's a kid, Rudy. I mean, he's, his favorite song is Al Jolson, 1918. He said, you're kidding. You don't know how old he's... I said, Rudy, maybe you could investigate. Rudy tried investigating how old Frank Morano is. Couldn't find out. I asked Rudy, do me a solid. Could you find out how old my wife is, Nancy? Because I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing. Couldn't find out. What is it about these hipsters and millennials? How come they don't want people to know their age? Oh, I hope Dominic Carter is going to be ready at the end of the next hour. According to Avery, our phone screener, 
It's part of my African-American team here on the weekends with Broadway Bill Lee and uh, Avery. Uh, He has said, Broadway Bill Lee, I don't know if you um, concur with him, that if they bring Frazier back, because, you know, that's what he was talking about with Joan Hamburg uh, earlier today, the best of Joan Hamburg. It was a great interview. He was saying that he'll never get white people to watch Frazier. I mean, black people. Uh, no black people ever watched Frazier the first time, although it was a hit on TV, a ratings extravaganza. He said the way Frazier talks to his brother Niles, there is no black man or black woman in the world who's going to watch that program. You got to stay tuned for this because who else are we going to bounce this uh, off of? The Big Mac Daddy Man coming in from Pomona in Rockland County. Dominic Carter, who will be on from 12 to 1, and then, yeah, the Mama Luke, Frank Morano with his nationally syndicated radio program. Yeah, you know, he's in rarefied atmosphere. The Animal Welfare Hour, up next with Nancy. Over the course of human history, human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, once again, the most requested, most called into, and uh, the one we get the most emails and texts about is the Animal Welfare Hour. Goes from now till 12, and then Dominic Carter comes in, but... Uh, the real star of this hour is my beautiful wife, Nancy. Thanks for coming on the ark again, uh, Mrs. N- Noah's Ark. <laughs> Thank you for having me again, Curtis. Oh, that was a great birthday party we had for you and all the 18 rescue cats. They had their party hats on. We were raising the roof. Yes, that's true. We had a, a, a cake and everything. It was, it was good stuff. And the pigeons were on the windowsill. Uh, the pigeons now, it's like Alfred Hitchcock. The birds, uh, Nancy, the pigeons are outside of WABC. Anthony Weiner again spotted. He counted about 88 pigeons that follow me over from the Upper West Side. So when we sit down on Saturdays and we do left, right from 3 to 4, and you have them, they're perched on our windowsill now, right? Yeah, so we initially were feeding them toward the front of uh, the apartments, like, uh, you know, the street. And now that the windows are closed, uh, a lot of times just for, like, the air conditioner purposes when it's getting hot, we have the side windows. So, you know, they're propped open, and we just put the food out there. So now they're they're figuring out that this is where to go. So this afternoon, we actually had 15 of them on this one windowsill. And they're all waiting for me, right? Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yes. In fact, this week, they followed me all the way up the block and actually flew into the subway station, although I guess the noise scared them out. But they were, like, waiting on the platform for me to jump on uh, the C train to head up here to WABC. Yeah, they're definitely uh, becoming a lot more bold in how they behave because it used to be that just as soon as you walk out the door, 
they'll be in front of the building, but, okay, then they followed you down a house or two, but now they're following you down the entire block. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. They're they're starting to learn your, your movements pretty fast. I think it's when uh, Margot Katsimatidis sent us that organic uh, bird seed instead of the progressive breadcrumbs that we were feeding them. They are like, it's like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs now. They, yeah, they, not- they told everybody about it. Now you have, like, more birds coming over here. It's like Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> but anyway, on that note, later on, I'm going to play you a, for a few cuts from the Frank Morano show. Again, he was moaning and groaning about the fate of his uh, three cats. Uh, they were actually Rachel's cats. He inherited them upon their marriage, and especially the cat Bathsheba. And even callers were calling him up and saying... Why are you asking us, the callers, for help? You could just call Nancy, the resident animal expert at WABC. And has he called you at all this week? No, I haven't ha- I haven't gotten any messages from him. Has he emailed you, texted you? No, nothing. Nothing at all. Sent a pigeon from Staten <laughs> Island, you know, with a message, no. help? Nothing. Nothing. We will we will play the this. He had to actually be given an attitudinal readjustment by the callers who said, just ask Nancy. For some reason, he's so obstinate, he's so stubborn, he's so pretentious that, that he refuses to ask you the expert. Yeah, I have some theories on that, but we can get into those, I guess. Yeah, now later on when we play the cuts, maybe you can read into uh, his... Um, um, his vernacular, you know, the way he says it, with a, like, like he, it's like he's smirking. But anyway, let's get onto the number one animal welfare story this week. Because of all the crime, especially in urban areas, I saw there was a report that the best form of security is not alarms. It's not all the other gizmos, the technology. It's not even having cameras on in your house so you could track Uh, what's going on in your apartment while you're away. It's just to have a dog, right? Yeah, so the the study is basically uh, stating that when people have dogs, so, I mean, aside from the obvious thing, right, like if you have a dog in your house, then, you know, it'll uh, maybe keep intruders away, they'll bark, they'll alert you to them. Uh, But it's sort of going a step further and saying that, uh, by virtue of having to walk the dogs, uh, especially in like the city environment, and people are getting to uh, be very familiar with uh, neighbors, surroundings, um, like normal things going on that maybe otherwise you wouldn't if you weren't forced to be outside all of the time, like repetitively. So, uh, you know, they're stating that that in and of itself is almost like that eyes, uh, you know, uh, see something, say something, right? Like eyes and ears concept. You know, if you're walking around the neighborhood all the time, you know what the usual things are, and you'll be more inclined to be aware of something that's out of the, the typical. Well, that makes sense because I've had dogs before, and I know you've had dogs before. They're, they're like on alert with our cats, our patriarch cat Apollo, who is the, yeah. uh, the senior cat along with our matriarch cat, uh, who is Athena. The moment they hear any noise, they hide in the closet. Well, yeah, they do. I mean, they're they're very uh, bold in the apartment and, you know, um, aggressive toward, you know, things out the window. But absolutely, the minute that someone comes into the apartment that they're not familiar with, uh, they'll go into the closet. Like, you wouldn't even know we had, uh, like, half the cats we have because they're gone. They hide. Wow, they're a lousy security system. 
Well, they're, they're, I would say they're, they're good in one way in, in terms of security because if we were to walk in the house and we didn't see the cats, then we would know that something was amiss because they'll be charging us. But So I guess in that, in that sense, they're good security. Now, the other night when we were celebrating your birthday, it was Tuesday night, we were walking around the Upper West Side and we saw there were a lot of empty um, office buildings. Correct. A lot of empty office buildings. You could tell nobody's been in there for months. Correct. Yeah. And I remember I was talking to you about, wow, they're going to have to do some conversion because a lot of businesses, they're just not coming back. You know, they fled to Florida, other locations, or people are just doing work at home virtually. They don't really need a massive uh, office space. But I see now uh, that my idea of putting mausoleums in these buildings is not going over well, but ants, ants have figured out. If you don't want to use all this empty space, we will. And ants are going up the steps, like pushing one another up the steps, and they're finding them on the 46th, 47th, and 48th floor. How is that at all possible? Yeah, so this so this is um, apparently there's a, a different uh, species of ant that has been sighted in uh, New York City since about... Uh, 2011, and this uh, type of ant is, you know, and, and actually it's funny, as you're reading the story, it's like, oh, they, you know, they probably came over on the boat, like they migrated here. I don't know if they have any idea of how this ant came to be in New York City, but its ability to go upward as opposed to all the other ants which are forced to stay on the ground has been like a part of their success. And now, like you said, people are finding them um, all the way up, like dozens of floors. I mean, you you wouldn't imagine that that's the case. And what's interesting too, with this variety of ant, is most of the ants they uh, subsist on uh, people food, right? So like crumbs, things like that. So you think, oh, you keep your place clean, and you don't have anything around that that they, they would attract them. So people were surprised because initially, well, there's nothing in the apartment that they can munch on, but they don't even subsist on food like that. So. I mean, they're very, uh, you know, they, they're very unique to this area. And I would say given all of that, they're probably going to be in New York City for a long time and probably will take over as a dominant ant. I have a theory on that, Nancy. Let's see if uh, you can connect <laughs> the dots. When I was a kid growing up in Canarsie, they had the lots. They called it the lots. They hadn't yet been cleared out for uh, for subdivisions, for buildings. And I would watch the ants as they would go in and out of their ant colony, you know, they would build a little hill. It was like, for them, I guess, the uh, Himalaya Mountains. And they go in and out, and they were, like, constantly working. I mean, 24-7, 365, and they were bringing all kinds of items back and going out. They weren't resting. They weren't sleeping. They were just nonstop motion. I'm figuring that in the mind of these ants, they see all these empty office spaces where people don't want to work there any longer. You know, they'd rather work at home. And in their minds, they're worker ants. So they're going to occupy the space because they're workers. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Uh, it, it, it's, it sounds right. I'm not sure if I can quite connect the dots on it, but there might be something there. They, there might be something to it. They boost each other up. You, you have to actually watch the film. They get, it's almost like they're on each other's shoulders, boosting themselves up from step to step. Because how would an ant go from one step to another step 
except they help one another. I mean, this is a real lesson to all of us, you know, who went to this I and me thing instead of us and we. The ant colonies realize that it's all for one, one for all. It's like the three musketeers. You can't do it on your own. I do remember growing up in Long Island, uh, seeing a lot of uh, anthills, like the ones you're talking about, and obviously they will be consistently knocked over just by virtue of people walking or other animals. But it's amazing how quickly they could build uh, those little, you know, tiny uh, pyramid-like structures. Like, I, they could probably build something super huge if they have uh, no interference. So, yeah, maybe that, maybe there's some logic to that. Let me tell you a little story. Joey G., the cheats from Howard Beach, you've met him. He lives in Howard Beach now. But he used to live across the street from me on 89th and J. Uh, his uh, family raised him there. And around 4th of July, he'd go around with the Canarsie Bebops. That was a gang there. And they would take the firecrackers and put them in the ant holes, you know, the, the holes that they were using for their cave. And he would blow it to smithereens. One day he wakes up and the ants had their revenge. His mother was Pauline. She comes running across the street. She was dressed all in black. She was a widow, you know, from Sicily with the mustache, the whole nine yards. And she screamed, she's screaming, Giuseppe, 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 they're, they're attacking my son with ants. We went over there. He was all eaten up by the ants. The ants, to get revenge, had worked their way on the windowsill, had gone into his room, and it's like they already had a coordinated attack. And he never bothered an ant colony again. Well, that's, that's how you make your point, I guess. I am telling you, if you ever watch ants, they are the most organized workers. They communicate with one another, and they're in constant motion. You know how they say, oh, uh, some human beings never sleep. People have said Curtis never sleeps. John Katsimatidis never sleeps. Eric Adams, they did a piece on him in, in the New York Times. He never sleeps. Ants never sleep. They're in constant motion. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. Whatever it is that's on your mind about dogs, about cats, about any animals uh, that could conceivably be on the Curtis and Nancy Noah's Ark here. 1-800-848-WABC. And, oh, again, we're going to play... I, I just want to get through this now, if you don't mind, Nancy. <laughs> I don't mind. Because I, I cannot believe that Frank Morano uses the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to talk to his uh, hundreds of thousands of listeners. He's the highest rated show now here on WABC. I'm right behind him. He has 20 radios that are tuned into him out of every 100 radios. I'm right behind him with 17, but he, he is the ratings leader. And he uses the time sometimes to moan and groan to his many listeners about problems that he has with his three cats, which are really Rachel's cats that he inherited once he put the ring on her finger. Who's going to take care of the cats? Bathsheba has to get two different types of blood pressure medication, one in the morning, one in the evening, and uh, I'm not sure when her treatment for for cancer is going to begin, but if she gets chemotherapy, then that may have to be administered at home as well. So there may be three types of medication this one cat gets in addition to just feeding them and uh, cleaning the litter box. So he brought that all up in the perspective that he and Rachel and Carmine 
may end up uh, taking a trip out to Jellystone National Park. You remember, like we all did as kids, our parents put us in the station wagon with Boo Boo Bear, Yogi Bear in Jellystone National Park. Like, who's going to take care of the cats? And then listen to a caller. Drill down on him, Nancy. 800-848-9222. Dottie is in Dover. Hello, Dottie. Hi, how are you, Frank? Great. I had a suggestion for you and your beautiful wife in Carmine when you go on your vacation. Why don't you check with Curtis Sliwa's wife? I'm sure she can direct you. She's on your channel there on Friday night with her husband. Uh, talking about the cats and the animals, and that's the first thing I thought of. Well, you know, Curtis is listening right now, so I'm sure yeah. if, uh, I mean, she's probably listening too, so I'm sure if it's something they have insight into, they will, um, I'm sure, offer it. Curtis is never one to hesitate to offer advice. Wow, he just blew you off, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think, um, I think I'm i kind of seeing what's happening here, right? So, like you said, he sort of inherited the three cats, so there's probably a little bit of a an issue right there, and now you have the little Carmine. So he's he's getting put to the side a little bit because you got to prioritize the kid, and now you have someone calling in and and trying to sidestep you again. So I think it's his ego is just getting a little bit offended here, and he really should reach out to us because we could help him with that issue. And we would. We would, but he refuses. He's so pretentious, obstinate, stubborn. And by the way, he is a dog man. So when he was living at home with his mother, Stephanie, he thinks I don't know who his mother's name is. Can you believe this? The hardworking woman that she is and his uh, his father, Carmine, they worked two, three jobs to, to turn him into a violet at NYU University. You know how much tuition NYU is, right, Nancy? I mean, yeah, a lot. So a they, lot. They, pay, they put him through school. They were working so hard. And also, he could, so he could be called a violet, and his job at home was only to walk the dog, right? Just walk the dog. He's living at home with mommy, a real mama Luke. He goes and walks the dog, and he has a cigar lit at home, and the whole house burns down. Oh. Can you believe that? Because he loves dogs. But I have a feeling, you're right, he really maybe secretly objects to the fact that now He's surrounded by three cats, all of whom were raised by Rachel. Yeah, so now he's like number, was it five? Five on the list. That's right. In the household, yeah. Bathsheba, the cat that has the most medical issues, uh, poor cat may have to end up getting chemotherapy. So obviously the cat's in a bad way. The two other cats, Carmine, they all come before he does on Rachel's priority list. And Frank is like number five. Yeah, on a good day, number five, yeah. (laughs) Now, wait, it gets better. So last week, he's doing his nationally syndicated show that's all across America now. It doesn't get better than that. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of his show, he becomes a killer. And uh, so far, so far, we'll still hear. But that is not stopping. There's a fly loose in the studio. And it's one of these small flies. I don't know if he's a mosquito or just a regular fly, but he's re- he's on the microphone right now, so I can't. Yeah, let me. I think I got him. But now, whoever uses this microphone after me has to now speak through a dead bug. So there you go. He's uh, he's there. A mus. What did he call it? A mosquito. Yeah. Well, what was that term? I've never heard that term before. <laughs> a mosquito. 
Yeah, yeah, I never heard that term is that, before. Is that some tribe down in Peru, uh, up in the Andes Mountain, uh, the tribe of mosquitoes? I think I think he just made that up on the on the fly. Well, what do you think of a guy? Okay, there happened to have been a fly in the studio, and instead of releasing the fly, he killed the fly. Well, I mean, again, like we we've discussed numerous times about how. You look at how anyone treats any living creature, and it's indicative of what you might be expecting in the future. So I think there's a little bit of a level of concern that he would so quickly do something like that. Uh, but also, now, if, if, depending upon if you believe in something like reincarnation, I mean, that could have been someone that he knew coming to say hi to him. I mean, they were right on the microphone while he was talking. And that's how he greeted them. So no matter how you slice it, it's really bad news. I will take him to an ashram out in Flushing, Queens, where uh, the head priest at the ashram there can explain to Frank that according to the Hindu religion, and there are more of them than there are of us in the world, that's for sure, more Hindus than uh, Roman Catholics. Although I don't know what Frank is. One moment he's Episcopalian, Methodist, uh, pagan, whatever. But so that this high priest in Flushing, a huge ashram, can explain to him all life, even the life of a fly, of a, what was it, what did he call that again, a mosquito? Mosquito. A mosquito, which sounds like a tribe from Peru up in the Andes Mountain, is important. I'll take that responsibility if you don't mind. But let's go to the phones. Uh, Because of Frank and his nationally syndicated show, we're getting a lot of calls now from Nevada from Reno, where your brother was living. He's now back in New Jersey with the, in proximity to your mom. But he was out in Reno. He would listen to it on the stream, on the app. We have other listeners now that call in from Vegas, from Reno, even from Pahrump, uh, which is where um, the overnight sensation uh, um, Bell, the man from hell, I called him, uh, would actually broadcast from a double-wide body. Uh, trailer, and he had hundreds of stations across the nation, Art Bell, and these are the shoes that Frank is trying to fit. So it's amazing. We're getting all these calls now from out in Nevada. Look, here's Robert in Las Vegas. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Bobby. Hello. Before I ask you a question about cats, I want to tell you how to find out anybody's birth date. All right. So what is the question about cats? You know, you don't want me to tell you how to find out anybody's birth date? Oh, yeah. There's this guy in Vegas. Well, maybe you're going to tell me how to shoot craps and CeeLo and roulette and play the one-armed bandits. What? what? You see what I got to deal with? Nancy, I get all these retreads from the Frank Morano show. He hasn't, he hasn't developed the listeners yet there in Nevada. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, unless you're talking about birthdays of animals, I'm not sure. And uh, uh, look, we'll call it growing pains, right? We'll be kind to Frank. It's, <laughs> it's growing pains of a new nationally syndicated show that's trying to fill the shoes of Art Bell, that loony kazuni from Parts Unknown. Anyway, let's go to Olina calling from Teaneck, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Olina. Good evening, and hello, Nancy. Hello. Nancy, I have to tell you, Curtis is absolutely precious. He adores you. <laughs> but anyway, oh, that, that, that was my birthday treat for you. 
Thank you. But I do, you're welcome. But I do want to say, Nancy, thank you so very much. You had mentioned, and it was mentioned at the station, that you care for the animals of the refugees that are bringing out their cats and dogs, their pets from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about what what you do and, and how you've helped them? Well, any of the oh, – well, okay, so the animals, specifically, anyone that's brought to the shelter. So there's local shelters that are doing rescues of these animals. Oh, so okay. we're always looking for lists of animals, and they have specific rescues that are based, um, you know, anytime there's, um, like, a major type of crisis. So they've had that, like, when, um, you know, they, they ship animals from different countries. Now, this is this is unique, and this is new, but there are certain rescue groups that are actually going over there to specifically grab these animals. So at this point now, we're, we're trying to figure out as many as we can, as many groups as we can, and also put people in touch with these groups. So obviously there's, there's some issues because it's not easy to get these animals over here. Uh, you know, it was fortunately, like initially it was easy to get some of them out to get them to Poland because uh, Poland was being very um, friendly to allowing uh, people who not only had pets but also rescue groups to bring them across the border. Not every country was allowing that. So then once they're there, now you have the shelters filling up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, you know, I think maybe we can put some information online, Curtis, about some of the groups specifically that are uh, showcasing these animals that are rescued. And this way, if people are interested in adopting them from these groups who are going over there to save them, then, you know, we can put people in touch with those groups. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know who has uh, promoted what you're doing with the animals who are being brought out of the Ukraine by their family members, their friends, who, who even though they have to just grab the few valuable possessions that they have, they don't leave their pets behind, is uh, Anthony. Anthony on the Father and Son podcast. Uh, that I do with him once a week. You can hear it actually on WABCRadio.com with all the great podcasts, but especially Father and Son, Anthony and Curtis. And he talks about how you've helped rescue animals from the Ukraine, how we should send more money to the Ukraine. And he flies that Ukrainian flag wherever he goes in every parade he joins me with, even though sometimes it's to his detriment. I mean, and Anthony is so, uh, you know, so empathetic to these animals. Like he'll be, he'll send me uh, text messages with information about uh, these specific groups or specific animals that he's seeing. Like he's very vested in this. So you're, you have a good time there. Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, the Animal Welfare Edition, uh, Michael. Uh, good evening, Curtis and Nancy. First of all, I want to say thank you from my heart to the two of you, Curtis and Nancy, for being so kind and caring and compassionate towards our animal friends, uh, taking care of cats and supporting uh, animals that are being abandoned or have to be taken out of the Ukraine. It's just a, a heart, heart, it's heart, it, it warms my heart to know that the two of you have uh, such a love, a heart love for animals. And really, I do respect the both of you for what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and, and what I think is so great, too, having this uh, forum to discuss 
uh, any of the animal issues, but also just pet ownership in general, because I've certainly encountered a lot of people along the way who, because of, you know, uh, Curtis promoting uh, the animal issues and myself as well, there are people who just aren't aware of what's going on. You know, I mean, like, I think if you're a pet owner or an animal lover, you you kind of presume that everyone is sort of in the same circle of thought as you are, but there's just a lot of people who aren't aware of these things. So the more knowledge you give people, the more it will help sort of form, you know, with how they're thinking about some of these issues. And until you realize certain things, like you realize, oh, how much these animals need help or where, you know, your efforts can be uh, really best served to, to do good by them. You know, you just don't know it until you know it. And so I, I'm really grateful for this forum to discuss these issues. Oh, it was great. In fact, we were out last night before I had to come back and do uh, the other other side of midnight from 12 midnight to 6 Sunday morning. We were at, uh, what, the 60th floor of this apartment building, amazing place, for a fundraiser for the uh, campaign of Lee Zeldin and his lieutenant governor, the former deputy inspector Esposito, and for Stefano who's running uh, for the state Senate seat of uh, Toby Stavitsky, who I thought was dead. I had no idea she was still alive, the Democrat, uh, in Queens and Flushing and Whitestone, Bayside, that area. And the number of animal lovers there who are not just Republicans but Democrats, a lot of Greeks, too, a lot of Greeks last night, right, Nancy? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, I thought we were at the uh, Greek wedding, you know, where they had Windex. It's like every second person up there was Greek. (laughs) Yes. And the questions that people have, uh, that's why we got to do more. In fact, I was speaking with the um, our management, uh, Chad Lopez, uh, who is our uh, uh, president of Red Apple Media, and we're going to be doing a video podcast and an audio podcast, so you're going to have three different ways to get the animal welfare segment in video form, in audio form, and naturally appointment radio from 11 to 12 uh, on Sunday nights. And it all now has a sponsor, a guy who has one of the largest animal preserves in all of America where he takes animals and he keeps them from being slaughtered. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I so look forward to that. And um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we can showcase a lot of the cats we have and then hopefully – other pets for adoption. And I mean, again, just to be able to see the animals, I think is so important. And just to see the interaction, see how they are. I mean, it's one thing to speak about it and explain it, but, you know, it's just, it's great to, to see them, you know, like in that visual format where, I mean, I mean, these cats we have, they're so extremely well-behaved and they have their great unique personalities. They're really fun. I mean, and then seeing how they interact with us, you know, I think uh, it would be enjoyable for people. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Let me uh, clean a little thing up from that promo about the uh, audio documentary about our 100th year anniversary and all the different segments that Chris Libertini is putting together. Episode 6 was last week involving morning shows. I had to clean that up. Yes, I'm Ross. I'm Ross. I'm Ross. Who the hell are they? 
And Nancy, I know you were listening in the wee hours of the morning, Sunday morning. Yes. I did two hours, not one, two hours <laughs> about all the homegrown talk show hosts and hostesses here at WABC that obviously didn't make the Chris Libertini cut because he wasn't even birthed when they were around. Starting with Lynn Samuels, who was the greatest female talk show hostess in the history of talk radio. Matt Drudge, who used to be on Sunday nights, was the top ratings guy. He walked away from a nationally syndicated radio show here. That's how Mark Levine got his opportunity. And we talked about Jay Diamond. We talked about Lionel. We talked about Brian Whitman. My God, I'm going to have to convince uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis that we need to have that replace what he did for uh, Episode 7. That that was like Episode 7 light. Man, I went the whole nine yards. But anyway, that's that's a, a separate touchy subject for me. So let's get back on course for the Animal Welfare Edition. Uh, let's go to Dominic calling from Stamford, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here on WABC. Dominic. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. Thank you so much. You guys are absolutely wonderful. I, Curtis, uh, uh, I went to LIU in Brooklyn. Uh, I originally started on Lafayette and... Uh, Thank God for the Guardian Angels. I felt relatively secure coming from suburbia land of Connecticut, commuting to uh, Lafayette, and then eventually Flatbush and DeKalb. And I, Curtis, I kind of owe you one. So uh, I have a compounding pharmacy in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, I know felines do need special medication. It's not commercially available, and I want to do my share to help you and Nancy with all the good things that you do. And I really wish you were the mayor. You have no idea how I really wish you were the mayor. So, well, one group, that would, what, to... one group that would benefit, Dominic, would clearly be the animals because my focus in the campaign was to stop the no-kill shelters, which I had actually inherited. That plank was not my platform plank. I didn't initiate that. Actually, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, when he ran for mayor in 2013, he was the first candidate ever in the history of politics to have a campaign platform in which he was going to eliminate all the kill shelters in New York City. So his platform was no kill shelters, and then I just uh, in, incorporated it into my campaign. How about the no kill subway? Would you work on that too? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, Curtis. All kidding aside, we. Not only suburbia, New York, New York City needs you, but so many of us do not feel comfortable going into the Big Apple as we did in the past because of the current uh, crime, corruption, and just disorganization that's overtaken New York City. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, uh, Dominic. Uh, it's what we continue to do as Guardian Angels, but we have since expanded our efforts in 13 countries and 130 cities around the world. Continue to do what we've always done in New York City since uh, 1979. And then uh, about uh, seven years ago, eight years ago, in fact, developed the Guardian Angel Animal Rescue Division that Nancy heads. Uh, You can actually get more information on that by going to uh, guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org and see all the great work that, that Nancy and her volunteers do to help animals. In fact, let's go to uh, Maxine, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Maxine. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Nancy. 
God bless you both for the great work that you do with animal care and welfare. I look forward every Sunday to listening to your program. There's nothing else around like this. And and mosquito is not a word. It's, that's definitely not a word. <laughs> I, 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 I asked you tonight, uh, Nancy, by the way, happy birthday to you, well, thank Nancy. You. You're welcome, and happy belated Father's Day to you, Curtis. And I feel better knowing you two are both here in New York City for all you bring and do. I have a question tonight, and my eight-month-old puppy dog, uh, still teething, has a couple of teeth to lose. And uh, today I noticed him uh, gnawing on the floors. And uh, I try to use this spray uh, it's made of an apple cider it doesn't seem to work or I give him one of his uh, chewing toys Nancy do you have any suggestions wow that's a, that's a tough one um I know let's see uh-huh. yeah that, that yeah that is a tough one now when you say chewing on the you say chewing on the floors yeah so the w- floors are I have wood floors I have no carpeting at all and he starts to Chew on it, like he just like how, how can you? I mean, it sounds like it's tough to get a grip on a floor, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. But he starts taking his teeth, scratching it. I hear him, and I see it. I feel the floor afterwards. Now, is it in one particular room, or is it in several rooms? Well, uh, I noticed that it it was more in the in the bedroom than it was in some of the other rooms. I mean, as so, a, I, I would suggest um, as a maybe a temporary type of thing because I would assume it's just a temporary thing in uh, like a little bit of a, a tail end of the teething type element. Yes. But I actually yes. have in our apartment for different reasons, just because we have um, an older cat that uh, has a little bit of walking issue, tends to fall down. I got the yes. the floor mats uh, like. Uh, the ones where they're like puzzle pieces, you know, a big like one foot by one foot, you attach them and yes. they, they sort of yes. line the floor. So that could be a yes. way yes. to at least stop that in the interim. And obviously it's soft. So, yeah, so that could just be, yeah, because I probably it'll just resolve itself soon. But at least that way you're you're sure that, you know, the, the dog's not losing any teeth in the process. Okay. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank <laughs> you, Curtis. Welcome. Thank you, Maxine. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is uh, exclusive to WABC, the Animal Welfare Edition. And let me make mention, Nancy, uh, because he is our brand new advertiser, our sponsor, our supporter. He wants us to do more. We're going to be doing a video podcast because of Delta Rescue. And we're going to do an audio podcast, which is separate from this program. So there'll be three different ways that our listeners can actually watch and participate and call and learn more things about animal welfare, not just for dogs and cats, but everyone in the animal community. It's Delta Rescue. It's the largest no-kill, care-for-life animal sanctuary of its kind in the world. They've been rescuing in the wilderness since 1979. So please look them up. See if you can help them because they are helping us Get the message out throughout the tri-state area and beyond. Let's go to Ann in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Oh, hi. Um, hi, Nancy. 
Hi. So um, I'm the animal control officer, and I get a lot of calls about pigeons, um, about uh, pigeons, uh, homing pigeons and uh, racing pigeons. And people always say to me, oh, they're dirty, and then the, the pigeons spread disease and all that. And I have one response, and I say, look to Central Park. There's a statue there, a great big statue of Cher Ami. It's a pigeon. This, and I go to the statue. It's like uh, three times the size of a human, and it's a pi- statue of a pigeon. And what he did was he got both wings shot off, and he saved all these allied uh, troops who were caught behind enemy lines. <clears throat> And when you talk about, you know, the pigeons are dirty and they have diseases, and I, I you know, I rescue a lot of pigeons. I say, look to that statue and uh, think about Cher Ami before you start, you know, saying that pigeons are dirty and, and things like that. Well, and, uh, and then, we, we, in fact, we live right by Central Park. And see, you and I, we're going to have to go in there because you and I, we've combed all of Central Park. That's the one monument we really should take notice of. And we're in an endless battle. Like half of our neighbors think that the pigeons are flying rats with wings. The other half uh, of the neighbors like the fact that we're feeding the pigeons, and yet I don't think people understand the history, as uh, Ann just explained, that before there was technology, people communicated by sending messages by pigeon, especially in times of war, when the pigeon would take all risk, go into ACAC, go into gunfire, go through the battlefield in order to get that message from one coop to another coop. You know, and with the pigeons that we see around our neighborhood in particular, um, I find it um, atrocious that it's legal to have these uh, pigeon spikes, right? So people want to prevent having pigeons uh, perched near their businesses or their houses. So the whole reason that I even initially noticed them in the first place is I noticed the ones that would be walking around missing uh, toes, and I, like, it, it took me a minute to figure out what was going on. But, you know, first of all, the, certainly I can attest to the fact that they they are very healthy, clean animals. And I think the ones that might get sick that people might be taking notice of are usually the ones that have these injuries that are secondary because of, you know, how people are trying to prevent them from being on their property. So, I, and again, it's a living creature. This really should be the it's almost like the official mascot of New York City. I mean, there's nothing more synonymous, I think, in terms of animals, aside from rats, sadly, but than pigeons. But I I will tell you this there's good news. Uh, Just uh, yesterday, Saturday, uh, during my program with Anthony Weiner, Left versus White, Anthony does a show on his own, uh, the middle from two to three, then from three to four, John Katsimatidis called in. He wanted to comment about the United States Supreme Court when Anthony was saying, And uh, Anthony mentioned how he saw the 100 pigeons outside waiting for me to leave that had followed me from the Upper West Side. John told us the story of how he went outside to feed the pigeons with Margot's organic uh, bird seed and that the uh, building management yelled at him. And he noticed the spikes here that they have up there. And he goes, you know, if they don't watch themselves, I'll buy the building and get rid of the spikes and then I'll feed all the pigeons that I want to anytime I want to. 
I mean, it's again, it's it's tough enough as it is for them to exist in the environment. And when you think about what they do, I mean, let's face it, they're they're picking up a lot of, uh, you know, little food garbage along the roads. I mean, that's what they're they're existing on. When you think about it, they're picking up food on the street. So we should be welcoming that. They're actually cleaning the streets up. So, I mean, and again, with the parks, you know, they, they definitely do exist in the parks, but more and more you're seeing parks that are uh, pulling up actual grass and putting down, uh, you know, like AstroTurf, equivalent of AstroTurf. So the environment that they can usually get food from doesn't quite exist the same way anymore. So, uh, you know, we need to be cognizant of that as well. I mean, there's nothing wrong with feeding the pigeons, and clearly they do need the food. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of sources right now for them. Well, let me make mention one last thing, uh, because Dominic will be joining us, Dominic Carter. Um, you introduced me to the program, the sitcom comedy Frasier, right? Yes, yes. And at first, I, I didn't really like it, but I sort of got into the swing of it. You know, all the nuances involved between Frasier, his brother Niles, his father, and the other characters. We have a staff member here, my phone screener and nighttime producer on the weekend, Avery, who has gone on record as saying black people are not going to watch Frasier because, uh, in fact, uh, Frasier was on earlier today with Joan Hamburg, uh, who is uh, uh, the queen of talk radio, and he was talking extensively about how they're bringing Frasier back. And immediately Avery said, hey, that's uh, the Whitey McWhite Club. It's like black people don't watch Frasier. Yeah, actually, to be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not sure if I would agree with that statement. I I certainly think that the the type of humor it is, it's a little bit more of like the dry humor, right? So I I would say it's more of a little bit of an intellectual type of show, but it's certainly very heavy on uh, com comedy in general and just the the nuances of life. I mean, I don't think. It's 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 certainly not saying anything that's going to escape anyone's uh, knowledge. I mean, well, yeah, well, well what yeah. I'm going to do is because obviously you, you, you're a fan. Oh, absolutely. But I'm I'm, I'm going to introduce the notion to the Mac Daddy man who's joining us up next, Dominic Carter, to see if in fact black people will not watch Kelsey Grammer with the return of Frazier. You're not going mean, to want to miss Kelsey it. Kelsey Grammer is, I mean, I think a lot of people have grown up with him. I mean, he was on Cheers for so many years, and then he was on Frasier for so many years. I, I think his comedic genius really just carries the day. And he's very, um, you know, like he, he has no problem with uh, making fun of himself on the comedy. I think that's what everyone really appreciates, right? He's not – the show isn't about a person. He's pretending that he has this big ego, but when it comes down to it, he's very – you know, everyone's always knocking him down to where he belongs. So I think that's a, something that some, everyone can relate to. So, well, yeah, well, I would well, disagree well, with that statement. Well, we'll test it out with the Mac Daddy man, Dominic, up next. Remember, Kelsey Grammer, proud Republican. There are many Republicans out in Hollywood, that's for sure. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. Ah, PBS Channel 13, Dalton Abbey. 
I don't think that's a program that you watch uh, often, uh, Dominic Carter. Not really. How are you? You know, they made a movie out of that crap. I never watched it on Channel 13, and I certainly am not going to watch the movie about these elite, effete <laughs> members of the Church of England, you know, um, Episcopalians like Frank Morano was all of a nanosecond. But I really hated that program. Now, we're going to use you as a litmus test, Dominic Carter, because Uh-oh. you are the big Mac Daddy man. You have street cred. You were in the Patterson Project, South Bronx. Man, that is hardcore. The Throgsneck Projects. And so you got the cred. So I want you to listen to Avery, who is our overnight producer and phone screener. Because as you notice, I have all the brothers and sisters with me on the weekend. This is true. And then all of a sudden, Frank comes, and it's the Mighty Whiteys, you know, with Matt and Alex and all of them. It's like, hey, is there a, a person of color in the house? So Avery uh, was talking about Frasier. Very, it was a popular, very popular sitcom comedy. In fact, starring Kelsey Grammer, who's been on all the shows here. In fact, I heard him today with Joan Hamburg. He's got his microbrewery. He's uh, like one of the few Republicans from Hollywood. He's he's very funny. And Avery had this to say to uh, Frank Morano, who really liked the Frasier series. All right, so give me both of yours, the uh, the r- fall asleep and the stay awake. Well, fall asleep is my secret shame as a black man. I have to admit that I watch Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, black people can watch Frasier. Okay, man. (laughs) (laughs) What? Is that a big shame in the black community to watch Frasier? You can't watch shows with white people in them? No, that's not it. Like, Seinfeld is cool. Frasier is not too cool to admit to. I've seen every episode. But there's no black, there's one black guy in the whole Seinfeld series, Mr. Wilhelm. No other, and The Exterminator. There's two black people in the whole series of Seinfeld. And Jackie the Lawyer. Yeah, right. Jackie (laughs) Childs. That's right. That's right. But why is that more of a, an acceptable black choice than Frasier is? Frasier is uh, not exactly geared towards the black community. Okay. All right. Be- being in Seattle and sipping lattes. and yeah, you, could re- you could rename that show Whitey McWhite White. <laughs> Whitey McWhite White. And I'm, since you've never seen Frasier, I'm going to give you a little sample, a few hors d'oeuvres. Here is Kelly Grammer who is uh, Kelsey Grammer, who is Frazier, with his uh, with a barista at a, uh, I guess, a Starbucks in Seattle. I'm hashing over an ethical dilemma, so I think I could use some black coffee. What size would you like? Uh, I've got a lot to ponder, so I, I think a large. I'm afraid we don't have large, sir. We have piccolo, macho, mucho, and mucho macho. <laughs> I see. Uh... Do you happen to know what size would correspond to a nervosa grande? No, but our mucho is about the same as the semi-colossal over at Don't Spill the Beans. Ah, ah, all right. I know that their colossal is comparable to a nervosa grande, so the semi-colossal would be three-quarters of a colossal, so the mucho and the semi-colossal would be equivalent, so I should have the, the mucho macho, but only fill it five-eighths. Yes, sir. For 50 cents extra, we can preheat the vessel. No. Can we just move this along, please? So, 
that's the ultimate white talk, right? I mean, you, you've mm. never seen that. But wait, mm. it gets better because mm. I was introduced to uh, Frazier by my wife. It, it, it takes a while for you to get into it, but especially when Frazier talks with his brother Niles, both of them are shrinks, about wine testing. Frazier, thought we could drive over to wine club together. Actually, I'm thinking about not going. Why not? Niles, truth be told, my enthusiasm for the wine club has started to turn. I know what you mean. It used to be the wine club, now it's just the teasing people club. <laughs> then let's not go. Well, they'll put our names in the absent bottle, we'll have to bring the crackers next time. <laughs> what if there's no next time? What do you mean? Niles, those people don't care about wine. Not the way you and I do, no. So what's preventing us from starting a whole new club from scratch? We could really get back to basics, something that's just about wine and a clear constitutional procedure for enjoying it. Yes, only maybe this time the governing body could be bicameral. Well, I don't know, Niles. There is something to be said for the parliamentary system. Well, either way, we have to have a strong judiciary to keep it in check. God, I love wine. <laughs> now, that was uh, white speak on Frazier. <laughs> Frazier was with Joan Hamburg, Kelsey Grammer. And he was talking earlier today about bringing it back. Uh, yet Avery, who's a brother from another planet, said that it's whitey McWhite white. Could you ever imagine yourself in Pomona there, sitting there with your cat, Beyonce, your dog, uh, your family, watching uh, the return of Frazier? Absolutely not. So Absolutely it's really not. not for black people. Well, I'm not I'm not the spokesman for all black America, but it's just not my cup of tea. I'm not really a sitcom type guy. Um I did like what's the I'm a big fan of hers. What's her name? Jennifer on Friends. Uh Jennifer, what's her name? I Aniston? Is is that her name? Aniston, yes. Yes. I mean I'm a I'm a I was a fan of So so it was Brad Pitt. By the way, Brad Pitt is now claiming he cannot identify people by their facial features. He has some kind of uh, a lingering disease, mm. which I think it's just from smoking too much dope. But anyway, what do you have coming up here, Dominic, as the barrier between me and Frank Morano? We're going to continue on the topic of the Highland Park situation, whether or not the father should be charged. It is my contention that he should be in criminal court. Oh, hell Yes. And by the way, he also, out of the five guns he had, he had a sub-2000, which is like a mini machine gun. Wow. And his, wow. his father signed all the paperwork for him to get these five guns. And you know what the uncle said? Oh, don't rail on my brother. He was just doing what a father has always done for his son. <laughs> Loading them up with guns. Oh, you don't want to miss it. Dominic Carter up next. And then the Mamaluku follows with his nationally syndicated radio program, The Other Side of Midnight, Frank Morano.